Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com. Coach Bliss, hey come over to my office and told me that the police officer wanted to speak to me and that I needed to head over to his office. I meet Bob Fuller, the detective, and he tells me that he's the guy investigating uh, Patrick's disappearance. And I immediately asked Coach, uh, Coach and the detective, do I need a lawyer? And Coach replies to me, not if you didn't do anything wrong. Essentially, what I was asked by Bob Fuller on that day was, was I distributing drugs via the team? That was a very frightening question to me. Am I distributing drugs through our team? I had been there for 12 days. All of that is very shocking to me, and it comes out of left field. And a few days later, there are there's another question. And that question is, Did I threaten Patrick or did I threaten Carlton? And would I take a lie detector test, attesting to those things? I was very pleased with the outcome. The polygraph test would just eliminate him of any wrongdoing whatsoever. I have no doubt in my mind those accusations against the selling of drugs to the basketball player is totally a farce. I wrote a story about a small junior college in Texas almost a year earlier. And I'd interviewed many ex-coaches, and Abar was one of them. And he said he was about to go back to work in Waco at McLennan Community College. Months later, when Patrick went missing and Dotson was considered a person of interest, and I was put on the story with some of my colleagues. And I thought about Abar. I thought maybe he knew these guys. Maybe he knew something. Because I didn't know who these players were. Maybe he knew something. So I called him up. And the first words out of his mouth were, do you know where I work now? And I said, no, I don't. He says, I'm at Baylor. 
And one of the first things I did when I got to Waco was meet with Abart in the parking lot at McLennan Community College. And right away, I could see he was scared, distracted. Things were going on with him. And that was in mid-June. This was his dream job. He went to Baylor. Suddenly, he's now on the coaching staff at Baylor, the school he loved. And look what's going on. And early on, you could tell he felt there was some manipulation of the facts that wasn't on the up and up, and he was concerned about it. At some point, Coach had just come back from meeting with the lawyers, and uh, he seemed very flustered. It was just the four coaches in the coach's locker room. And I remember Coach saying, if somebody would just say that they paid Denny East tuition, I'd buy them a Cadillac. Shit, I'd buy them four Cadillacs. And he kind of starts telling the story about maybe Pat being a dealer. And I remember telling him, we can't operate like that. And that's when he was like, well, do you want to get fired? And I said, no, I do not. Abar was, was balking at it. Abar had, was, was fearful and obviously wasn't compliant. I remember coming back to my office and I found a copy of his contract on my desk with the portion highlighted that he had the authority to hire and fire the assistants. And at that point, I understood what a reality this was becoming. He's backed into the ultimate corner. We're talking about a murder. We're talking about a young man who's dead. We're talking about family grieving, very publicly upset. And now this bizarre cover-up that he's being asked to participate in. He doesn't want to do it. And he knows that if he says anything about it, it'll be his word against Bliss's and a powerful, well-respected head coach. This could seriously alter the murder investigation to a crime. This was going to result in everybody being put on a witness stand under oath and being asked these questions. And once that happens, once this begins, those lies, because the trial is so far off, will be truth by the time that we get to trial. I'd be lying if I said that I wasn't kind of motivated in a fashion by that to do what I did. I went and I picked up a $25 recorder and I actually wired myself up. I put the mini cassette in my belt line and then I took the mic and I ran it up through my shirt to the side of my pants, close to my arm. So you really couldn't tell if I pulled my shirt out a little bit from my belt, you really couldn't tell that the mic was there. And then I would check myself in the mirror to see if the mic was concealed or it doesn't look that weird. And uh, when I felt like it was good and in place, I left the house. The first day I recorded with Coach Bliss, Coach Bliss is at the board. He writes reasonable doubt. Reasonable doubt. And he underlines it. There's no nobody right now that can say that we paid Pat Penny he said. Okay. So what we have to do is create the reasonable doubt. I got like thirty years. I've never talked to an NCAA Okay, so I mean that stands for something. Yeah. And the thing about it is what the lawyers want to do is all they gotta handle is two thousand for the down payment. Yeah. And then 
like uh, um, 7,000 on his tuition. What we got to create here? Drugs. Nobody can say that we paid his tuition because he's dead. Okay, so you guys paid his tuition. I remember sitting there getting upset, uh, but wanting to make sure I maintained my composure. I remember getting nervous because I realized the damning things that he is saying are now recorded. Coach Bliss wanted R.T. Gwynn, Ellis Kidd, and Harvey Thomas to tell stories about Patrick. Well, what we want to do is Denny uh, tells the story. You know, we, 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 we've been going out to Denny Heath's apartment, and what we've done out there at Denny Heath's apartment, you know, we'll go up there and we'll uh, smoke some weed and drink some stuff and have some ladies up there. Then this one time I went out there, okay? Okay, this is like the middle of May, and uh, we were up there and we're getting ready to do some shit. And, and Pat walks in with a tray. All of a sudden, on this tray, I notice a Okay, yeah. there's pills. I'm with you. There's, you know, whatever. Whatever. I'm with you. It was like all kinds of wild shit. They put the tray down, okay? Yeah. When they put the tray down, you know, and Patrick said something like, we're going to have some fun tonight, and we're going to let the other guys pay for it. And he brings out his roll of $100 bills. I mean, he's dead serious. And... You're sitting there, and you, it's hard not to laugh sometimes about it. And when I tell you I have mixed emotions, it's like, because some of it is, like, so absurd, it's hilarious. It's like, okay. And then at other times, you start thinking about how chilling it all is and and sad. And, you know, Patrick's body had just been found context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Thursday, November 30th, 2017. So I have been told this is our weekly broadcast on neutralizing workplace racism. It's every Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, this broadcast is specifically designed for victims of racism, non-white people, black people in particular. Uh, any problems that we might be having in the workplace uh, doesn't matter. If you work with mostly white people, if you work with mostly non-white people, if you're self-employed, whatever the issue is, this broadcast is designed for non-white people to share strategies, tactics for neutralizing racist attacks that we face on the job uh, so that if you are being scolded for being too quiet uh, or not being enthusiastic about the Christmas party or suggesting that you don't even want to participate uh, in the Christmas party or being written up or denied bonuses, whatever the issue happens to be, unwanted touching, uh, to dial in, share the situation. Uh, we can offer counter-racist suggestions on what to do to try to neutralize your problem. Certainly, if we have any non-white listeners who have figured out constructive things to do. You have figured out some strategies that work, that keep you in a position where you're not getting written up. You're getting your raises. If you get any sort of performance evaluation, you get sparkling reviews. 
if you need time off or vacation time, you get it with no hassling and hand wringing. That doesn't end up becoming a six month odyssey where you have to pray about it. If you have figured out strategies that work well, so you can just go in, do your job, be unmolested. And it seems like you're going to be able to stay on that job until you are ready to leave. Well, then, hey, those are suggestions we need you. If you are in that glorious category, you should be one of the first people to dial in the number six, four, one, seven, one, five, three, six, four, zero. The code five, six, four, nine, four, three pounds. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Number again, six four one seven one five three six four zero. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Next up, the audio segment that we heard before we get to any of the the folks that dialed in or the people that wrote in the audio segment that we heard at the beginning. Reading is more important than watching television, especially if you have not read your policy and procedure for your job. That's something that we tried to stress for a while on workplace racism. Make sure you read your policy and procedure manual manual in total. Uh, It would be best to read it before you actually start the job, but make sure you've read it. You do not want to have a situation happen. And then you have to go back and refer to the manual and read and see what the rules and stipulations are. Have that read in advance. That will put you in a much better position uh, to navigate on your job when you know what the rules are supposed to be. Anywho, reading is more important than watching television. Documentary film, uh, really one of the best films, period, that I've seen this year. Certainly, I think the best documentary that I've seen this year and maybe in some time. Disgraced uh, came out a few months ago. Uh, It's about Baylor University, which is down in Texas, close to Waco. Shout to David Koresh. And it's about the 2003 basketball team where a black player, uh, Patrick Dennehy, was killed. Uh, He was shot execution execution style twice in the head uh, and killed. I believe he was in his early 20s and uh, just incredible scandal. Uh, I think it did get some attention at that time, but not nearly enough because of the system of white supremacy and black life is just not valued. But the reason that I played that audio clip from that documentary, Disgraced, You talk about workplace racism. That right there is the context. Uh, You have a a missing person report. They don't find the body for a month. So this starts out as a missing person evolves to a murder case. Mr. Abar Rouse, that's the main voice that you heard in the audio segment. This is a black male. He was an assistant coach on the team. The head coach of the team was a white man, of course, named David Bliss. So this black male and... (laughs) He's been on the job for 12 days. This incident happens the very month that he has been hired. So he's a new hire on this job when all of this, you know, just extraordinary tragedy, a murder and everything else that went along with it when all of this happens. So the first part of this is you have a missing person. And people are coming around to ask questions and see what the deal is. Has anybody seen this missing person? And so they go to Mr. Abar Rouse, uh, assistant coach, black male. They go to him and it's not, you know, do you have any information? When was the last time that you saw him? It's were you selling cocaine or any other drugs to the players on the team or using them to sell drugs? 
He is immediately under suspicion and he just started this job. You heard his response. I've been here 12 days. Are you serious? I have a cocaine ring set up on a job where I have been hired 12 days. I haven't even filled out all of my emergency contact information yet. I'm still going through, you know, the seminars and new training that you're supposed to get when you get hired someplace. And I'm being accused of being Scarface here. I mean, my God. So we start there. And then he says, they come back. Well, did you threaten anybody here? And are you willing to take a polygraph test? That, wow, stood out immediately. I said, I need to make sure I ask any listeners, as anyone listening in, have you had to take a polygraph test as a part of your employment? Uh, I know sometimes they have situations where... If money is stolen, right, somebody loots the petty cash to go to a brothel or whatever it is, uh, they might call the enforcement officials and they might require uh, that everybody, you know, or people, at least people that are uh, under suspicion might have to take a polygraph or something else. But if we have any listeners, uh, have you been required to take a polygraph test as a part of your employment? I think that would be great to know, to have counter racist uh, analysis of that strategies and what have you and or. Anybody listening, is that a part of your current uh, contract with regards to employment? Like, can your current employer say, uh, well, this is what the situation is. There was a theft or whatever it is. But, you know, you are required under certain circumstances. You might be required to take a polygraph. Is anybody under those conditions? That would be great uh, to just discuss that. I have not had that ever as a requirement for a job. So that is new one for me, although I am aware that, you know, racists do require that sort of thing from time to time. So they go through all that. Apparently, Mr. Rouse, he takes the polygraph test in this situation a few weeks later, and he's clear. They say, okay, he's, he's not selling cocaine. We think he passed. We think this nigger is telling us the truth. So you're no longer under suspicion. Three, four weeks later, this goes from a missing person to a murder investigation. Now they found the body. Uh, Unfortunately, this black male, uh, Patrick Dennehy, he's been shot twice in the head and killed body left out in the woods. Super suspicion now. Now they come back. His white head coach, David Bliss, comes to him and says, you know, hmm, I have been cheating. I've been paying this black male's tuition, tuition, which is a major violation. And now there are going to be a lot more questions asked since this person has ended up dead. What we need to do so that I don't get in trouble is we need to say that this guy was a drug dealer. Mr. Rouse is like, whoa, whoa, we got a murder investigation. We can't do this. This is not the just thing to do. The white man says, do you want to be fired? Black self-respect. Now, he answered the question. No, I do not, sir. He answered the question, but black self-respect. I thought of Dr. Welsing so many times uh, when I saw the film, when I saw this whole exchange, workplace racism, Sometimes, and I even said, man, I think I might have failed, Gus T, in terms of workplace racism and emphasizing codification, necessary, critical, if you're going to be on a job. Keeping your composure, Mr. Rouse said that in the segment that that was a part of his struggle to make sure he could maintain his composure in a very chaotic situation uh, on a job that he had just started. That is very important. Reading your policy and procedure, extremely important. But maybe the most important thing you can take with you on your job or anywhere else is black self-respect. 
And I want to make sure there's a few more things I want to say about this, because this was just an extraordinary uh, example of workplace racism, in my opinion. <clears throat> I do not have anything pleasant. This is not a story that ends well with regards to what happened to Mr. Patrick Denny, uh, Dennehy, who was killed or Mr. Rouse. He was, quote unquote, blackballed. He did not get a promotion. He did not get a reward. Uh, he did not get anything great. Uh, he lost his job and was permanently banned from coaching, which is what he wanted to do. That was his dream. That was the career that he wanted to pursue with all of his passion was to be a college basketball coach. Totally lost that because of this situation and him being the only one who did the correct thing and saying, I am not going to lie. I'm going to take whatever polygraph is necessary and I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to tell the truth and I'm going to pinpoint other people who are not telling the truth and trying to do incorrect things about this case. He is the only one who did the correct thing in this situation, lost his job, was not hired again, never got another basketball coaching job. He is working, uh, teaching in a prison in Texas right now. Make sure I say that. So I don't have anything great to say like he got a reward, but in my view, he exercised black self-respect and should be commended. If it were not for him practicing black self-respect, there is no telling what could have happened in this case. This white guy could have lied and just said that this black person who was a murder, vic a murder victim, that he was a drug dealer. And oh, well, that would have just been, you know, what was said and moved on. Black self-respect and being willing to recognize this is incorrect. This is beyond whether I stay on this job. This is beyond whether I get this raise. This is beyond everything. Some things are just not acceptable. And that is all. If I have any black self-respect at all, there is no way possible I'm going to participate in lying to say that a dead black person was a drug dealer just so that I can keep my job. That is not acceptable <laughs> at all. Black self-respect has to dictate that. And that is probably going to happen. I suspect if you are a black person anywhere in the world, we have people who participate on this program from the UK, Ireland. People have written in from all over the world. If you are a black person, it is very likely that you will be faced with a scenario, maybe not that intense, hopefully not that intense, where someone has been killed and you're asked to lie about it to police officers and everyone else as a part of your job. But there very well may be a situation where you are being asked, required for your job to do something that is incorrect and is going to be harmful to other black people. And you will know all of this. And you'll just have to make that decision. Certainly, we all have jobs. We all have responsibilities and things we have to pay people that we are responsible for. Many of us are our parents, certainly. But black self-respect should trump everything sometimes with regards to what decision we make on the job. Now, back to Mr. Rouse specifically, who I said nothing good happened uh, for Mr. Rouse out of this situation. Even the white guy got rehired. But that's another story. He says, you know what? This is not correct. I don't know if he said to himself, I'm going to exercise black self-respect. But man, <laughs> that's the best thing I can identify it as. I'm going to practice black self-respect. I'm going to go out and spend $25 on a voice recorder. Texas is a single party consent state. Gets his voice recorder, trains with it, figures out how to use it. 
goes to work recording and that changed the entire case. Him going in and recording commentary that I strongly suspect no one would have believed if he did not have audio that this white man is sitting around. What we're going to do is say that this was a drug dealer and we're going to go around and coerce other students into agreeing with this lie and saying that a dead black person was a drug dealer on campus and that that might have something to do with why he was killed, knowing that none of that is true. And in fact, what he's talking about, I think, is a felony. I think they call that obstruction of justice. If you've got a murder investigation and you're encouraging witnesses to give false testimony, he didn't get charged with that, of course. But Mr. Rouse, he gets his recorder. He goes in records these folks and later releases, or I think his attorney uh, released the information. But that's something that we've talked about on a consistent basis. You certainly uh, can do your own investigating if that's a route that you want to go. But that is something that we've talked about a lot uh, in knowing, hey, sometimes it might be great to be able to get audio recording, particularly, I mean, if it's gotten that egregious with regards to what's being said or what they're asking you or other people to do just so that you can have as much ammunition as possible. And when I say ammunition, details, precise details, dates, times, exactly who was present, exactly word for word, punctuation mark for punctuation mark, what was said, all of that detail will put you in a much better position. And again, even with all of that, Nothing good happened for Mr. Rouse. People, in fact, people sat around and talked about him like he was a villain just because he made these legal audio recordings, emphasis on legal, nothing incorrect about what he did. People just don't like that he did it and he's being punished by not being allowed to coach ever again, it seems. But I did think that was an extraordinary illustration of a lot of the different uh, concepts that we talk about with regards to workplace racism. Uh, if you want to check out the documentary, that's great. But really look at that portion through the uh, through the workplace racism lens. Pressures being brought to bear on a black employee by his white boss and how you deal with that situation, particularly when you are being asked to do something that you know is incorrect. What's your response going to be? Black self-respect black self-respect. Uh, with that, I'll remind listeners, if you have uh, commentary, particularly if you're not able to call in, you can always email untiljustice at gmail.com untiljustice at gmail.com if you would like to participate and you don't want to call in or if you're concerned that people might recognize your uh, voice, feel free to drop an email untiljustice at gmail.com uh, Several folks uh, wrote in so I'll read their commentary as well. Also, make sure I remind folks, this is not a broadcast for spectators. Uh, this is uh, about non-white people who are employed, either you're self-employed, if you're an entrepreneur, whatever it is, uh, sharing their experiences, strategies with regards to workplace racism. This is not a broadcast for non-white people to tune in and be entertained uh, for a period of time to hear whatever difficulties black people are having. That is not what this is about. Uh, we are not going to solve this problem by spectating. And I strongly suspect if you are a non-white person, especially a black person listening to this program, if you have any sort of work experience, I'm real sure you have incidents 
things that you can contribute to a conversation on workplace racism. I am very sure. Uh, and if we have anyone who says, oh, no, I have no experience at all with regards to workplace racism. Well, you should be one of the first people to call in to explain how you were able to pull off such a feat. Number again, 641-715-3640. The code five six four nine four three pound uh, press star six one if you would like to participate uh, i have a few folks who already wrote in commentary uh, i will add their comments as we roll but i guess i'll start right there before we even move forward uh, any any listeners who have had to take any sort of uh, polygraph uh, test if you've had to take a polygraph test for any job that you've worked or even if you haven't, but if you know, oh, yeah, that's in my contract. That's something that, you know, if something happens on the job, uh, drug related or crime related or whatever it is, they can you know, require that I take a polygraph test. Uh, and my taking it, uh, me remaining employed is contingent upon me taking this test. If anyone is in that predicament or has been in that predicament with regards to their job, would like to hear about that pronto. Uh, and again, to emphasize black self-respect on jobs. I cannot say that enough. Uh, and in fact, I guess I would put that out also as a question uh, to pose to listeners. Has anyone been in that position? Because I feel like that's one also that a lot of us have probably been in where black self-respect might have to outweigh even your entire career because Mr. Rouse, for, and he knew that's one thing I got to make sure I get in. Mr. Rouse uh, gets just the highest commendation that I can can offer as a victim of racism. And in fact, if we have any victims who are in the Texas area, uh, Fort Worth, Dallas specifically, uh, if I could get assistance in trying to get contact information, I would love to have him as a guest on the program. But he knew he was sacrificing his career going ahead and making these audio recordings. And he did it anyway. Black self-respect. But if we have any folks where black self-respect ended up meaning more than the job uh, because they were asking you to do, do something that was incorrect, uh, that would be grand to know as well, because that's something I think we should all be thinking about. Like, at what point do I say this job is not worth my black self-respect? Folks who dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. If you have commentary, uh, feel free. Have you heard? Yes, ma'am. Hi. Um, I was calling. This is my first time actually calling in to the show. I've been listening to the show for a few months now, um, so I decided it's about time that I actually participate. Um, so uh, if you would bear with me, because I'm a little bit nervous. Um, I have been working at the job that I work at right now for about a year. And um, I can say I made a lot of mistakes because, you know, I wasn't as aware about how racism affected me. And so I had one um, white male coworker who um, used to talk to me a lot about, like, you know, random stuff. Um, so I just, you know, I thought I had to be very, you know, engaging in order to be, to seem, you know, nice. So 
I guess, you know, after a while he started to get really open about, like, sexuality, and he claimed that he was um, poly, polyamorous, I think that's what they call it. Um, so he would talk about his relationships and his dating life. And after that, you know, I had, um, I told him, oh, you know, I have a friend who's trying to date somebody, and you seem like the type of guy that she'd like. And... I ended up giving him her number, and or she she agreed, but she wanted to go ahead and take his number, and I ended up giving him her number, and they were talking back and forth, and um, I just I guess I noticed that you know him being a white male and my friend being a black female, um, that he didn't have uh, I guess the same respect or regard for her as he did with other women that you would talk about dating. So when she had said that she wanted a she was dating um, because she wanted a relationship. He had said, you know, oh, well, you know, I just want something purely sexual um, and I'm not really looking for anything long distance because she lives like an hour away. And he just kind of gave all these excuses and then he was like, you know, I don't really want to drive that far to go on a date. And so eventually that just ended and it's ever since then it's just kind of been awkward between me and him because I don't, I don't know if he feels like he offended me by rejecting my friend, but it's just, you know, I guess that that was poor decision making and I kind of, now I'm dealing with that backlash. But, um, that was it. Is the backlash just uh, which you call, oh, well, I guess first, Grand, uh, always great to have first time callers. I hope the broadcast has been mm-hmm. of some constructive value. Um, when you say now you're experiencing the backlash, uh, what does that backlash entail? Is it just the the awkwardness between you all or is it something more? Yes, it's, it's the awkwardness and it's kind of like, um, it's like a, like a cold shoulder type of feeling and you know, like, I don't even know, like, sometimes I'll walk into work and I don't even know if I should say hi. And sometimes they'll say hi, but sometimes they won't. So then it's, it's this weird, like, dynamic where, like, I just I just kind of avoid saying hi at this point. And I, I have that problem with a lot of people, actually, at my job because, you know, I do work in an environment that has mostly white people. And, yeah, I just find that, you know, we just, I, it's hard for me to know when it's okay to say hi and when it's not. Sometimes some people will say hi. And then in another instance, they won't. So it's like, I, I always felt uncomfortable in that position as well because it's like, I, if I don't say hi, I feel like I'm being really rude and, you know, being a black woman, I, you know, I feel like it's, you know, it's even more pronounced because, you know, when I'm quiet, it's like, oh, you know, why are you being so quiet? You know, and, you know, you got a chip on your shoulder or something like that. So, um, but yeah, with the guy, it's definitely like, you know, hot and cold type situation. Mm, understandable. Um, I guess my thoughts would be with the speaking thing. I think that comes up a lot uh, as well in both aspects of it. The white people, sometimes they speak, sometimes they don't. Uh, and then if you work with a lot of white people, you might not, not you might not necessarily want to be greeting a racist or a suspected racist. So I can understand that. On all accounts, mm-hmm. uh, my recommendation for the workplace is I, I just call them workplace uh, courtesies. 
uh, me speaking. That is not an invitation for us to have, you know, a 30 minute talk over a scone. Uh, that does not mean that I want to hear about your Thanksgiving break or what you plan to do for Christmas. It uh, doesn't even mean that I like you. Uh, it just means that we share <clears throat> an office building or an office space uh, for a limited number of hours consistently, you know, week to week, day to day. Uh, so I'm just acknowledging that you're here. It's not contingent on you speaking to me. Uh, and I got Mr. Edward Williams of counter-racism.com. He gave the suggestion some years ago, and I, I'm a big advocate of it, uh, that it's not about, you know, I need you to speak to me. Uh, if I greet you, uh, it doesn't even matter if you return the greeting. You know, you could roll your eyes and keep walking. It doesn't matter. I'm just greeting. This is my code. It's not contingent on what you all do at all. Uh, I just greet the folks that are here. And I mean, it's going to be something real modest. Morning. Morning, Ted. Might be a head nod, but it'll be something real modest. It's not going to be uh, a huge wave and a hug and all that other stuff. Morning, Julie. Mm -hmm. Morning, Miss Johnson or whatever it is. And you just keep on moving. Uh, if they speak, great. If they don't, that's fine, too. And the re another reason I'm a big advocate of this, it also helps on that other issue where they try to say, oh, man, you don't talk. You're so aloof. It seems like you don't even want to be around us. Oh, no, I speak. I'm not here to be aloof. I speak to everyone. I greet everyone uh, when I come in or what have you. If you have something that's work related to talk about, absolutely. Let me. In fact, I want to be one of the first people to know if you have information that is pertinent and work related, but we're just not going to have frivolous conversation about, you know, silliness. But yeah, I'm a big advocate of speaking and uh, it doesn't matter what they do. I think with this situation specifically, I would speak. Let's say his name is Ralph. Morning, Ralph. Afternoon, Ralph. And just keep it pushing. Uh, if we have something work related to talk about. Oh, OK. Right on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Other than that, just, you know, keep it moving. Um, and also, I guess for, for listeners, this is why I'm such a big advocate. I think you said you started listening to the program for a few months. Uh, I'm a big advocate of when we're on the job, we're not talking to these white people like we're friends. Uh, we're not having conversations about dating and that sort of thing. Uh, that is, you know, danger, danger, danger. Uh, we should be thinking that, you know, Jerry Sandusky is trying to holler at us, you know, something like that. You know, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer is trying to holler at us in a situation like that. Like, oh, no, <laughs> like I do not. I think we even talked about this having an immediate one line. Like I do not fraternize with employees, something real simple and codified that you say every time so that it's just I'm very serious about this, uh, but I do not. This is not something that I engage in at all. I am not the person that you want to be talking to about your dating life, uh, who you are interested in dating. I don't have any friends that I could hook you up with. None of the above. Uh, and everything that's playing out in the news right now should emphasize why that you don't want to pursue that at all. Uh, that's just an invitation for things to be horrible. Uh, this guy, particularly with what he's saying about uh, he just wants something uh, sexual or however it was phrased. He doesn't want something serious. He just wants to have fun. And that I mean, this sounds like total. I'm just looking to sexually and to come to you. A black think you said that it seemed you, you wondered if he would behave the same way with a white person, a white woman, as he would with you, a non-white female. I think you said that. I mean, are you serious? Can you imagine a black person going a black male in particular going to a white woman on a job? And saying that sort of thing, like, man, they would have him handcuffed and thrown out of the building within like an hour. Like, 
told on the job situation, you do not want to engage in that at all. And so I'm, I'm glad that you're if you're listening to the content now and it's helpful, you can make adjustments going forward. But, oh, man, like that's super, super dangerous uh, for you and your friend. Uh, this guy just sounds like a, a complete racist sleaze and uh i would just be th- if it's awkward and he's not talking to you now or doing any other soliciting great i would just speak to him keep it very very workplace like it's not even platonic it's business <laughs> like workplace and you can do that and you don't have to be uh you don't have to be aggressive or angry or anything like that you can just keep it pleasant workplace but it's going to be very official right to the point no dilly dallying and then moving along i'll stop there does that does that make sense or am i talking crazy no no that makes like a a lot of sense actually and um yeah that's that's very helpful i mean i've been listening to the show for i guess that for a few months and i kind of got the idea that that would have been the, the best that would be the better approach um and also, I would like to say that um, I, I'm also a, like I said, a black female who is married to a white male right now. And um, after listening to your show and I think a lot of other YouTubers and whatnot, um, it definitely opened my eyes. And right now, um, I'm going through a lot of marital problems at this point um, because of the fact that um, I am starting to see the fact that we're married is actually a huge problem and I'm starting to notice how racism actually plays out in our relationship. So I would like you to know that, you know, what you're doing is actually really helping people um, and hopefully I can have the strength and the courage to do what I have to do because I really, really do know what, that this isn't healthy at all. Thank you. I'll, I'll go ahead and meet my line. Yes, ma'am. Wow. Well, I, uh, that sounds unsafe as well, but, uh, hopefully it sounds like you're getting more information and building the black self-respect, uh, to act appropriately given the new information that you have access to. But, uh, I will just succinctly say that view that as, uh, a potential safety hazard, uh, yeah, view that as a potential safety hazard uh, with your mate, and hopefully you'll take the new information you have and act appropriately. We'll see how disciplined our listeners are. This is their favorite area of, uh, favorite topic of discussion, so we'll see if we can stay disciplined and focus on the workplace racism aspects, like we almost got a double dip there of uh, Area 8 sexual activity. Uh, workplace racism-related commentary. Did any of the listeners uh, have any suggestions uh, for our first-time female caller? Uh, if you have your own uh, incidents that you would like to touch on, that's fine, too, but uh, any suggestions, recommendations for our uh, female listener that we heard. For folks, if you were listening, I forgot, but if you were listening or attempting to listen at Black Talk Radio Network or tune in, if you refresh the page, it should be available. I think uh, the archive was playing just for uh, the first uh, snippet of the broadcast, but it has been corrected a while ago. So if you uh, want to listen there or were listening there, just refresh. It should be fine. Do we have any suggestions uh, for our First caller, uh, folks had their own comments that they wanted to share. I had a question. Um, now, can I be heard first? Greetings, Thomas in New York. Oh, greetings, Gus. Um, I was I was victimized at work. Um, 
sorry, I, I they gave me the flu shot. I had to take it. I waited till the last day. And um, I would have been suspended if I didn't take it, you know, because I work at the hospital. So it's mandatory um, in the process of going any way to get it not undone with, with be a six-week, um, six weeks of no pay for an investigation. They have it really in a way that you have to take it. So I'm a little under the weather. I apologize. Um, is this, this white man has been speaking to this lady uh, in a sexual way. Is that what I'm getting uh, hello, Garrett? Yes, yeah. we can hear you. Can you, can you say some specific uh, things that he might have said to you? Um, like, he he talked about how how um he was into, like, polyamory and, you know, being with multiple women. He would talk about kind of how he was into S&M and, like, um, just a lot of weird stuff, you know, like, and I just, I just kind of acted like it didn't bother me, you know, I was just like, okay, that's, that's you, you know, if they're allowed to live your life how you want to, it's not something I could do, but he just, he was very, I thought it was weird, because I'm just like, I didn't think people talk like that at work, but I guess it was okay for him, because he seems like this kind of, you know, counterculture type of person anyway, um, but yeah, he was, he would just make statements like that. Yeah, um, yeah, sexual degeneracy is um their number one um behavior besides um racism. So um yeah. Oh, are you in the United States? I'm sorry, what was that? Are you in the United States of America? Yes. Oh, okay. So um why why wouldn't you just go in um that you feel like you're being sexually harassed by this person. It sounds like you have a valid HR claim for harassment. Um, I know I've watched videos. I'm not supposed to talk about any of those things at the workplace. Um, you can't even say someone's beautiful or looking nice. I mean, you have to be very codified according to the, the material that the, the workplace has issued to me at every job I've had. Um, we have to um, be very codified in the way we speak um, around one another. If we are not, um, that could be grounds for termination for that person. Um, and if this is a white person, uh, I would I would um, advise you to run to HR and um, um, say some of these things. If not, start making you know start making some recordings or, or writing things down, specific things you said, so you have every detailed information and um, get this terrorist off the workplace uh, according to what they've been showing in the media. Um, this, this is open season for white men to um, be called out for their sexually degenerate behavior. Right, and I guess my only, I guess, fear, I would say, is that, like, I just feel like in this, in this environment, like I said, I work with a lot of white people, um, and like I work with some white women as well, and they are okay with like his, the way he talks, you know. And he has one friend that he knows outside of work that he talks to like that as well. But I just feel like me being a black woman, if I would go and accuse him of that or I would say that made me that would make me uncomfortable. It, I don't know. I I guess I just 
feel like it would fall on deaf ears since, you know, everybody else seems to be okay with him saying those things out loud. Um, I would say that, um, you know, yeah, in the present climate, um, I'm surprised some of these white women aren't coming out. I mean, they, they've been um, breaking their codes um, drastically recently um, and coming out on these white men. But uh, under the climate of things that's going on in America right now, just the way things are, I mean, um, you know, allegations has forcing people to resign these things. Um, I just think that um, they can't sweep that under the rug because I'm sure in their policy they have a sexual harassment claim. And that's why I was saying, like, in the videos they give us at the workplace, you know, this guy is well aware of what he's um, appropriate to say and what is inappropriate to say. Um, but, um, you know, this, I mean, this is your, your, your situation. So if you feel as though it, this would be backlash on you, um, I, I, I totally, um, you know, say, hey, you have to do what you have to do what's best for yourself. Uh, I did have one to share of my own, but Gus, I'll let you um, let other people speak. All right, on. Sorry you had to, uh, that's chemical and biological warfare forcing, uh, you to get a flu shot if you want to remain employed like wow that's that might be worse than being forced to take the polygraph uh examination oh Um, probably yeah now i worked at kids of us you worked at what someone stole some money you worked at what i worked at kids of us okay i was like 16 and i was working at kids of us and um they um had a a theft situation um and one of my classmates who also worked there um, he was forced to take a polygraph test to prove that he didn't take the money. Um, I, that's the only time I've heard of it. Now, I do think that that was unle- uh, unlawful, um, but, um, you know, he was talking about 15, 16-year-old kids, you know, and that, that's pretty much what was working in. So they, they did it. Wow. Wow. Good memory. That's why I said, like, I feel like people that, just spectate like you are not helping. Uh, you are being what Mr. Fuller describes as greatest spectators. And that's not going to help us end racism, white supremacy. I said, you could probably easily, you could just look at your work history and like, oh, wow. Yeah. I remember when that happened. I remember when that happened. Like it's got to be, if there is a system of white supremacy and I have concluded such a system does exist. Uh, again, the number six, four, one, seven, one, five, three six four zero the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate and that right there with a 16 year old i would think there should be some questions like the aclu like can you give a minor can you require a minor to take a polygraph test like are their parents uh, required to be notified present even like I wouldn't want my child uh, take I wouldn't want my child taking a polygraph period uh, if they were a minor much less whether I'm present or not I mean that is absurd I cannot imagine uh, a white man over something minuscule like I cannot uh, I cannot imagine white parents allowing their children to be subjected to such measures easily particularly white parents who are more powerful Anyway, if we have folks, the polygraph share, if we, we have any, any folks who had uh, 
other comments with regards to how our first time uh, female caller uh, dealing with the situation. I think Thomas in New York suggested checking the uh, handbook. I think that can be helpful. I was I was under the impression that things were at the awkward stage now that perhaps some of this earlier shenanigans had at least stopped for the moment. And now you were saying it seemed kind of awkward since he seemed disinterested in uh, your friend. Is that the case? Have things stopped or is it, you know? Yes. Like when, once he, once, once they had the issue with my friend and, or when, once they stopped talking, um, that's when he kind of stopped and it started to get awkward and it was just not really much talking between us after that. Oh, okay. Uh, I would say, hey, if 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 it's if it's quiet now, and I certainly would, I think it's always good to look forward uh, to see, you know, what's happening and expect that he's going to do other incorrect things. But uh, if it's quiet, uh, you could just make a record of what's been said. Uh, and Mr. Fuller has said sometimes it can be to your advantage to wait uh, because he's going to do something else. Uh, if he is this as sleazy as he has been described, uh, it's in his nature. He's going to do something else. So if it's quiet for the time being, you can just make a very detailed record of what has been said thus far as close to, you know, date, time, what he said, uh, and just put it in your workplace journal and save it. And then moving forward, take notes, document, and then you can present when you have a myriad uh, of different events, times where he has done said incorrect things. That might be, that's where I guess that's another option. If things are at least quiet for the time being, if it's awkward, great, take advantage of it. <laughs> like that'll, that can be the protocol from this point forward. And you can just keep it business where you all don't have to talk. That's for not in my opinion, that can be one way you can look at it as well. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes, things a little bit easier, like him not talking to me anymore, but it's, it's just, like I said, just the awkwardness. I would much rather just not say anything at all, but, you know, that would, that would look bad too, I guess. So. Dig in, dig in. I will share one of the folks who uh, wrote in their comment. Uh, they were very appreciative of our uh, caller from Ireland. Uh, who dialed in to participate. Uh, and again, I think the importance, uh, it shows the patterns worldwide, what it means to be white. Uh, and they have codes about how they go about victimizing, uh, mistreating us, but very appreciative to hear the caller from Ireland. Uh, and then he wrote about his own situation. He's, he writes as a black male. Of course, I have my own story, uh, which would take a while to explain in a nutshell, a white male was mistreating a white female and some other non-white non-black individuals. I was not codified and was on instinct only. Oh no, <laughs> I suspect this is not going to go well. Let's see. But I was ready to lose my job to not be mistreated. We might have black self-respect though. Let's see. When the perpetrator approached me with extreme disrespect and expected me to just take it, I went straight to the VP of the plant very distraught and explained what was happening as clearly as I could. The VP of the plant suggested I go home and recover. Hmm. The next day he apologized the white male manager that was mistreating folks. I proceeded to express to him that I hear his apology and very directly let him know that I would be testing his apology by watching him on a day to day basis to make sure he is living his apology. Six months later, he left the company. 
I don't recommend any victims to follow my route, but to follow their own code. The only reason I took that action was that I was willing to lose that job and had no children or anything major to lose personally. I would then look for another position. During my talk with the VP who knew my work and have had 10 plus years of experience with me, realized in the past 10 years, I have never complained about anybody or anything. This might have been my saving grace. I had no history of being upset and distraught and was able to express that and was taken seriously. Right on. He says another day in the system. Absolutely. Can't stress that enough. Although, as I said, black self-respect, black self-respect, extremely important. Uh, And that's another thing. If you deem, you know, what's happening, if you can take time to think about it and say, hey, if I lose my job for reporting this, you know, acting on this, if I lose my job, I understand that that could be the consequence and examining what that means. And you're willing to accept those consequences. You thought about it. Do what you have to do. You're going to be in that position. And sometimes Mr. Abar Rouse, that was the position that he was faced with. And he chose to record anyway. And it did indeed ruin his career as he thought it would. But black self-respect sometimes is more important than keeping a job. In fact, I would contend one of the things that will probably challenge all of us replacing white supremacy with justice is more important than keeping a job. Uh, Thanks for the person who wrote in. Uh, Do we have other folks who had commentary they wanted to share? Spectators, once again, and if we do have uh, folks who are spectating, who are in a spectacular position on the job where you're not being abused, mistreated, which I find a little suspicious, uh, and you're not really observing anything noteworthy, which I also find very suspicious. But if you're in that position, make sure to invest in the cows. Uh, You can visit the blog racism-notes.blogspot.com racism-notes.blogspot.com. PayPal button is in the top right-hand corner. If you're not into PayPal, drop us an email. We will get you a physical mailing address. Thanks for all the folks who have supported nearly a decade of counter-racist broadcasting. Uh, Other folks who dialed in with a hand up? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yeah, it's uh, Brother Madike here from Ireland. Uh, I'd like to ask to the sister uh, that is experiencing that um, in her company, for how long has, has she been working in that company? Um, I've, I've been working with her for about a year and a half now, I would say. All right, and in which sector uh, which industry or company is uh, operating? Um, it's chemical engineering. All right. So my my simple comment is that, and I'm just um, taking the word from uh, 
colleague Shabazz, Michael Max, what Michael Max said was that you should not be afraid to go to jail because as a black person under this this condition of white supremacy you were born in jail in the same way in your company you should not be afraid to report and to go um, um, submit a grievance because you are fired every day as a black person your life is on the, your life is on the line your career is on the line your job is on the line you can you can lose your job for uh, something smaller than that so don't don't be afraid because when you go to work you are with the, these white folks when you come back home you have them you you have to do something sister this is for your mental health this is for your peace of mind this is not only to feel good but to to do good and, and if you, you lose if you if you lose your job you can find another one Racists do uh, make it difficult for black people to obtain employment often, would you say, uh, MDK? Uh, what, what I'm saying is a job, find a job is easy. It's something very, very easy. Uh, the only thing is because we, uh, we are blacks, we know that there are discrimination and you know, favoritism on the, the white side. However, this should not prevent us from doing what we're supposed to do. Justice. Uh, if you are a black person working in a corporate plantation, you are fireable every day. Again, for something smaller than what you just mentioned. So why not um, for your health? and for your for your mental health and for your well-being go ahead and submit a grievance or just um warn this person that you're going to take action hmm. that is logical certainly uh we are under attack every day i just i suspect for many of the folks listening at least it's been my experience sometimes uh racists do not make it easy for black people to get employment um that's been my experience from time to time but replacing white supremacy as i said i think i stated it earlier we certainly have higher objectives that we are shooting for uh we have other folks who had either suggestions or if you had your own situation that you wanted to share. What time is it in, in Ireland again, sir? Uh, it is 2 a.m. in the morning here. Wow. Context of white supremacy on Friday, Friday morning. Wow. Uh, other folks that uh, had a hand up, if you all had comments or on your own situation or if you had suggestions for any of the folks who dialed in thus far? while folks are still spectating we had another different person uh, who wrote in uh, this is 
This is a black male. Black male, he writes in. Uh, oh, teacher. We had a parent-teacher conference the other day. Uh, the black male varsity basketball coach had the practice in the gym. <clears throat> he was told that he would not be able to practice due to the conferences. He was frustrated, but he complied. Within 15 minutes of him being told this, an outside volleyball team, all white, who uses the school to hold their practices at night, came into the gym to set up and practiced for two hours uninterrupted. All the black male coach could do was shake his head. Absolutely. <laughs> and you could document. That's one where I think you could ask questions uh, with regards to why they were allowed access to the gym during the parent teacher conferences. And he was not, uh, you know, just to see what the difference is, just for clarification, that might be something good to know. Um, or at least one thing you can do beyond shaking your head. But uh, that is, in my view, the system of white supremacy on display once again. And I submit that when you understand racism, white supremacy, and you understand why these type of things happen, that should lessen some of the stress. I think a lot of times we get frustrated because we're not understanding why these things are happening. I think when you have an accurate understanding of why these things happen and hey, I might even ask a question about that might be a good time for me to practice some counter racism on the job. I'll think of a really good question maybe two really good questions to ask about what this disparity is. Uh, or maybe I can ask uh, several different white people who I think have the power to do something about this, to get this changed, or at least to give me an honest answer as to, you know, what's going on here. But yeah, I think just being informed about racism, white supremacy can help us deal with those type of situations. Uh, we still have folks spectating. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Oh, we did hear. Now we do not. <laughs> I did. We heard the uh, can I be heard and then there was silence. Hmm. Maybe he got disconnected. Uh, if you, uh, I think that caller in Florida, if you were there, uh, and you were sharing, you got disconnected. If you want to ring us back, we'll get you. Or if you hit your mute button, maybe by accident. Uh, other folks who dialed in with a hand up, feel free. While we wait to see if he gets it figured out. Caller one. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Oh, yes, ma'am. Hi. Um. I wanted to talk about workplace racism. Um, I'm still at the hotel. Um, I transferred to another another location. Um, the same people um, that run the one that I was at before kind of run this one as far as um, district managers and so forth, even task force managers. So it didn't make it easier for me. I just came... And um, it's the same ruckus from the, uh, similar to the last hotel. So um, uh, a lot of Caucasian um, people there as far as uh, bosses, leads. We didn't have a manager. We just got a manager um, maybe a few weeks ago, Caucasian male. Um, so everybody's Caucasian except for 
um, maybe Spanish housekeepers and myself and um, two other black ladies. So um, the the the, um, the Caucasian guests are very matter of fact. They come in with this uh, matter of fact attitude. They're they're very um, stern, and then they want you to break the ice. But since I work so late, I'm not a um, an icebreaker, um, so it just doesn't go like that. Um, we had a Caucasian lady last week, um, alcoholic lady. They give her a lot of grace. Um, she decided um, one night she was going to set the hotel on fire. This was last weekend. So she's in the bed with her matches, and she, so she lights the, uh, her room up. And some smoke detectors go off and everything. They have to uh, kick the door in to get her out of her room. So instead of kicking her out, they just gave her another room. And um, so she's in there while we're repairing, the, uh, while the hotel is repairing the other rooms. She's given another room. So she got arrested for, um, she had some kind of um, back and forth with the police. And then um, they arrested her. But then they made sure that she had another room to come to when she did get out of jail. So they transferred her room. She just left this Friday that just passed. So um, I just thought it was interesting that she can come to the hotel, do what she wants to do, and then we have grace for her. When she sets the hotel completely on fire, she can stay until she just feels like leaving. And um, I just noticed that especially working so close with um, Caucasians, they're very, they go out of their way to make you feel uncomfortable if they can. And if not, they'll do something else to make you do, respond negatively so they can write you up or just do anything to make it unbearable working there. So I, um, I just kind of told them to kind of cut my hours so I don't do as many hours there so I don't have as much contact with them there per week. And um, that that's that's about all I wanted to share. And thank you for taking my call. Indeed. Our black mother in the Bay Area, good to hear from you. Uh, you told us about, it's it's just been so many dangerous incidents uh, working at that hotel, and I think you've been there for, it's been about a year or so, hasn't it? Yes, it's been, it's been a year, um, August. Okay. Yeah, I would, I would really, because I think that's what I've said before, it's just, it's been so many dangerous incidents. Like, this is not just uh, someone being rude or discourteous or, you know, things of that nature that are just, like, an annoyance, like, this is danger. <laughs> Someone setting the building on fire. I think you told us before about incidents where they had uh, hostile customers who were threatening you and coming behind the counter area where they're not supposed to be, where they're trespassing and, and what have you, and customers who you know are intoxicated. Uh, it just seems like it's such a dangerous uh, environment that I would not want to be. I mean, it's great. It's fantastic that you cut your hours great uh less than the amount of time that you have to be there but i mean wow i would really have to focus as much time and energy as possible on you know total extrication like getting myself out of that environment i think um sometimes in this system i think that happens like we just get so bogged down uh in the system and they make it so difficult 
uh, on us to to change jobs and to to just do things that are constructive uh, that we can get stuck uh, in it. Like, I don't think you took that job with the intention of being there for like five, 10 years, did you? No. Okay. Yeah, that's, I think this is one of the things that happen. Like we just get so abused in the system that we just end up losing sight of, you know, hey, I am in a really dangerous environment. Like, I need to get out of here. Like, I just, it just seems like the sort of, well, I'll ask you, doesn't it seem like the type of environment where the longer you stay there, that it seems like something bad, something even dangerous could happen to you? Does that seem to be logical? Yes. And then every time something weird happens, I think back to you. I think I always, every time I clock in, I think about how I shouldn't be there in the first place. So, yes, it rings every night okay. that I'm there. I'm only there two weeks, I mean two days a week, but every night you, I think about how I need to be somewhere else. Trust me, your, your words ring. I have a question. Mm-hmm, Thomas. Um, are the patrons of this hotel, is this like a hotel that, um, I don't know what what city you're in, but um, is this like a doubles down as a shelter or um, alternative living environment for people? Yes. Got you, got you, got you. Because um, I had no idea until recently that they were doing that here in New York. Um, really. And, I mean, you're, you talk about it on, like, 34th Street, 42nd Street. These are big-name hotels. And the city is paying $580 a night for people to, homeless people to stay in hotel rooms in these um, elite hotels. And um, I just thought that was ridiculous. So when I was listening to you, it just sounded like that that, that was the workplace environment I would associate with those hotels. And I think you just solidified what I was thinking. dangerous yeah and that's i think that's another one for black self-respect too like recognizing uh when we are in a place of employment that is dangerous uh that and a place of employment where we didn't intend to be for a long period of time to make sure hey black self-respect says out of respect for myself I got to make sure that I'm putting myself in a better position in spite of what racist white supremacists intend for me. And I know they have ill intent. Uh, very important, I think, for for victims, because that, that happens to a lot of us. Man, that's almost what the system is designed to do, is what the system is designed to do. Uh, we have other folks who had uh, suggestions or comments on what we've heard thus far. I forgot if we have uh, holiday party suggestions. I, f- I was having a conversation. Sh- I have to give credit. I guess my hat tip to Chantel. She's been a guest on the program before. Uh, she uh, did the program about a year ago. Uh, white mom, biracial daughter, quote unquote. But she suggested a documentary film Disgraced. And she was talking about workplace racism. We talked that was all we talked about. Disgraced, the documentary and workplace racism. And specifically, she said office party time. And so she's been on the same job for, I guess, a year now and or maybe even longer than that. Specifically, uh, she was saying that they have their annual Christmas party. She did not attend last year. And she said that she remembered that. People, whites, her boss and others in the office, they were a little snarky, uh, actually 
Uh, her boss is a non-black, non-white person, quote-unquote Indian. Anyway, uh, it's office party time again. And so she was going to go this year, and she already had the code laid out. I will attend. The party starts at 4 p.m. They actually get work off to attend the party. That's why it's kind of quasi-mandatory, even though they say you don't have to attend. But uh, So it starts at 4, goes to, I think, 7 or so. She already She already told them, I have a prior engagement, so I'll have to cut out early. All-star counter-racism. Get there at 4, do my 30 minutes, and I'm out. Then she notes that a white colleague just flat out says, I'm not going. <laughs> and so they ask, oh, man, why, why, why aren't you coming to the party? We're going to be that's going to be great. He says, oh, no, I don't I don't have a date. I just, you know, I don't feel comfortable attending these type of events without a date. And so <laughs> she interjects like, hey, I'm going I'm going by myself and I'm a female. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's just it's just not my it's just not my style. I don't I don't have a date, so I'm just not going to go. And they leave it at that. <laughs> so she's like, that is such a ridiculous excuse. If that's enough to just, you could just say that. And that's grounds for not attending. I'm not going either. And so she changed her mind and just said, I'm not going to attend at all. If it's not mandatory and you got other white people who can just make up any kind of wacky excuse that they please and not attend, I'm not going either. Uh, and pff, hey, time and energy is valuable. I cannot emphasize that enough. Time and energy is valuable. None of us have an infinite amount of time. And I recommend avoiding environments where it's going to be whites and alcohol. And this here thing was going to be at a bar. So, I mean, hey, if you got to attend, if it's mandatory or if you are fearful, and I'm honest about that, too. Hey, if you are fearful, if you don't think it's going to be easy for you to get alternative employment, Factor that in. Hey, I think some other people have said that they felt that they lost a job because they did not attend these type of functions. Fine. If you got to go, have a code. You do your 30 minutes. You take a picture. You don't consume any alcohol. You hopefully have somebody with you who can monitor and help keep you safe. You let them know in advance you got a prior engagement. 33 minutes pass. Well, it's been fun. I will catch you all later. Drive safely. Uh, we have other folks uh, who had commentary. Our caller in Florida, if you figured out your mic situation, feel free. Perhaps he's still working with it. Other folks who dialed in, if you had commentary. I do have um, something else I wanted to say. Um, First, I sent you an email today because um, they had a Victoria's Secret model caught at a Photoshop shoot um, singing Cardi B song and using the word nigger. And uh, it reminded me of that workplace incident I told you guys about where I walked into the, the room and the, the tech was setting the room up, the nurse, and um, she was, uh, I walked into her saying um, nigger as well, singing that same song. Um, so I just thought that was you know, interesting. Also, um, one of the, the the police officer, the white police officer at the job, he retired. I have wondered, you know, I hadn't seen him, but, you know, I 
just thinking think of it, and one day he popped up and he was talking to someone who I happened to be speaking to. So he kind of, you know, cut in, and I just listened to their conversation. And he was talking about, you know, his retirement and um, how the, the, the city, um, you know, gave him an additional 30 days just in case he changed his mind. And um, also he um, got a pretty good, cozy um, security job at the hospital, or not the hospital, but at the college, um, one of the colleges in the city for $90,000 a year, you know. So I just thought that was um, very interesting because um, I personally witnessed this guy helping them cover up that um, burning thing situation and um, also personally, um, you know, see some racist activity on a day-to-day basis that I would see him when I would work in the emergency room where he was stationed. So um, now he's um, on the campus. Um, I always spell campus with a K-K-K-A-N-T-U-S. So that's where campuses are. And, you know, these are the people that's doing the security. They're people who have expert 30 plus years um, police experience, being a detective, a narco, whatever. And um, they, they, they hit this um, these campuses and um, terrorize these um, young men, which um, pretty much is probably why they went and wanted to ask the guy first thing um, when you saw the cocaine, you know, um, that's, that's, that's the type of police that I believe. On these campuses. Um, uh, other than that, I'll mute my line. Um, I did have something else I wanted to add. Um, it, it kind of doesn't fit with the, the workplace racism, so I'll, I'll keep it off. So, mute my line. Indeed, indeed. Folks have been so disciplined today. We've stayed focused on workplace racism. Phenomenal. <laughs> the number again, 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Ask again, do we have any folks who have had to take a polygraph examination as a part of your job? Uh, or like to mandate it where you were required to do it if you want to keep your job? Uh, or do we have anyone where you know that's a part of your contract? Like you might not have had to do it, but you know, oh yeah, this is something they've told us if you know this sort of situation happens, uh, we might be subjected to a polygraph exam. Uh, we have any folks who are... Uh, to have commentary on that. No polygraph folks. Right on. Folks. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hello. Um, thank you for taking my call. This is red in Nevada. Um, to answer, uh, your question. I haven't, I don't recall um, seeing that in any type of um, employment contract as far as having to take a polygraph exam, and nor have I had to take that. Um, The only time I've ever heard of anything similar to that was when um, my mother, she was trying to, or she was inquiring about becoming like a um, a 911 operator, and there, it wasn't necessarily a polygraph, but um, it was like a I felt like it was at least a really vigorous um, questionnaire. And so I know one of the questions um, she had said she had to answer was, um, they said, well, have you, have you ever um, I consumed or smoked uh, marijuana? 
And if you said yes, then it went on to say, um, well, if, how many times was it? Was it between 1 and 20 or 1 and 10? So it was kind of like it didn't matter whether it was just once or whether it was, I guess, um, socially, it was still looked at as the same. Um, the only uh, things that I have to share this week um, in regards to me applying for a job and I just wanted to just uh, read uh, parts. There was like two questions that really stuck out to me um, that they made me answer. And uh, as I mentioned before on the cows, like uh, Nevada, they have um, legalized um, medicinal and recreational uh, marijuana use. And there are a lot of different dispensaries um, here. And so it says, um, are you a current user of any illegal drugs, which includes drugs who who um, that use is illegal, unless um, I'm sorry, unless it has been prescribed by a uh, by a physician? And it says um, the this particular job. It says um, they uh they use federal law to determine whether drug use is illegal, even if a state or local law permits the use. Under federal law, marijuana use is illegal, even if prescribed by a physician. Um, so I definitely thought that that was definitely really interesting because I was thinking about that because in Ohio, um, I can't quite remember if it, if it was on the ballot as far as um, marijuana being able to be used medicinally or not, but I've heard like um, with different people around me, they just assume that since it's being able, since, um, you know, it might have been able to be used medicinally, then that would be fine. So you wouldn't have to take a drug test or those questions wouldn't matter. So like here, since it is, you know, recreational and medicinal, they still don't care. Um, and then the other thing, I just thought it was um, interesting how they defined um, race when I had to select a racial classification. And the the part that I thought was interesting was white. Um, well, I'll first start with black. It says a person having origins in any of the black racial groups of Africa. And then a white person is defined as a person having origins in any of the, ori any of the original people peoples of Europe, Middle East, or North Africa. So, but it didn't describe or it didn't define what original peoples were. And I, was, I just that that was just funny how there's, I've never heard of an original people, original white people coming from North Africa, or I guess even like the Middle East. Um, so I guess that's all I wanted to share for now. Um, thank you for allowing me to speak. I'll meet my line. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. That's a, uh... Drug testing might be added to that as well. Uh, flu shot, drug test, or polygraph examination if you are required to participate in any of that uh, contingent on keeping your job. That would be interesting. But the drug testing, that is something that I think, yes, indeed, we have talked about on the program before uh, that they could legalize. But that doesn't necessarily mean that black people still won't be obstructed from employment uh, as a result of cannabis consumption. Like they do that sort of thing all the time now, and they could still do random drug testing or just a variety of ways that I could still see that hampering uh, black people from being able to move about constructively, go about our business, replacing white supremacy with justice. And I mean, 
Nevada legal prostate. I mean, really, <laughs> if you want to talk about criminality in Nevada, they got legal cannabis, legal prostitution. I mean, man, you can go and fight and beat each other until you have a concussion. Like, yes, viva Las Vegas. Uh, we have other folks uh, who had commentary they wanted to share. Workplace racism. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, thank you, Gus. Um, this is um, Octavius out of New York City. Um, basically, um, I, this is a little bit to the the drugging, uh, the drug testing point. I've, every every single job I've been in, they they constantly drug test, um, and the majority of these roles are in downtown Manhattan, uh, Wall Street area. They uh, frequently drug test around there to the point where in the building they'll have the uh, drug testing area going on right there. Um, that being said, I I feel like this is obviously, you know, pretty pretty straight to the point, like it deals with a lot of brothers and sisters that may um, use marijuana for whatever purposes, I don't, whatever. But um, they definitely, like, cutting people out by doing that. Um, second thing is, and I'm not sure how everybody may feel about this, but I'm just commenting about going to my son's um, parent-teacher meeting today. And um, and I hope this this can in, kind of um, encompass and be a part of uh, workplace white supremacy as far as a child dealing with, quote-unquote, racist teachers and and obviously situations that are set up to put him back. Um, and it was it was very clear that uh, there were certain teachers in there that that had um that didn't have his best interest in mind and um kind of viewed him as the uh the bad black boy so to speak um and i'm i'm having issues with it because he is um surpassing most of his class like there's nobody else in the class that surpasses him but um they're still holding him back from moving to a next grade or a next class within the next semester. And I'm trying to, uh, the only thing I've thought about in regards to dealing with this is actually getting an advocate, but this is something that I, I kind of, uh, I'm actually, I, I would I would like to get other people's input on it um, because I, I wanna hear uh, different perspectives, basically, that's what it boils down to. Uh, and see if there's anything else I can do besides getting an advocate to to come to the school and actually speak with me and stand by me, so that another eye and another pair of um, another mind there to actually address issues that they may throw towards me to not let him move forward. Um, that being said, I you know if anybody has any input, I would definitely like to hear it. And um, uh, thank you again uh, for allowing me to speak, and I'll mute my line. Indeed. Appreciate that. Any suggestions on helping to advocate for this black child? Exceptional black child. Hmm. If we have parents, should not be spectating. If we have parents, you should definitely not be spectating at this point. If you have any suggestions. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. 
Hi. Um, I'm a parent. Um, I have a um, a male son also. He's with did public school, and um, he's in charter now. But um, I would have issues with him in school. Um, maybe in my beginning years, I would have academic issues, uh, preschool, kindergarten. That's kind of where it stopped academically. You're, um, if you can find an advocate, that would be that would be good. Um, you kind of gotta uh, go by whatever their laws are. But I like I would sit in class if I have to, take them out if I have to, put them in another school if if I have to. But you just kind of stand firm by what what he what he states and what you state. I know they have their own rules, but it, it it's it's what you say. So and if they don't approve of it, or if there's a problem, then you probably would have to take them out of the school and then deal with um, whatever the next issue will be. But it's designed to make sure that they're academically um, challenged in that manner. That's how they teach the males, particularly the black ones. So that that's their job, and your job is to kind of counteract it. So you're going to have to go to um, sit at the school, maybe take turns. That's what I would do. Um, take turns after school just to make sure that they know that I'm right here. And then that's all I have to say on that. Right on. I think that's a great recommendation about Wait, going. Yes, I, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, go oh, ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, was just, I, I was didn't just... hear the gist of the question. I was putting my shirt on. I'm getting dressed for work. So can you just tell me what was the problem that the man had with the school? Uh, uh, I, I could. Um, oh, okay, yeah. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, I could um basically he's um he's doing very well in his classes. He's um definitely standing out. Uh teachers call upon him, you know, for the most part. And um I'm trying due to the fact that he's at that stage now where he's actually, you know, surpassing most of his classmates. Um I'm trying to get him moved into a higher class or just removed into a higher grade, uh, based on, you know, obviously his um his skill set, um, and but I'm kind of getting pushback, not even kind of, I'm just getting pushback, period, um, stating that, you know, he's he's not ready or he's not doing this or X, Y, Z. Um, a lot of these comments that they made, and I, I didn't mention this earlier, but I think I should to give people some kind of idea, a lot of comments they made were very frivolous, um, things on the line of, well, sometimes they have to say, uh, you know, finish up your writing, or um, you need to focus on this to him, and that's their excuse for not seeing or, or believing that he can excel into that, that next stage or next class. Um, all these, are, I mean, are just minuscule excuses. They, I mean, I know if he was a white boy, they would have probably pushed him <laughs> into the next grade immediately. So um, what I'm trying to do is, to, again, figure out what steps or methods I can use Outside of the advocate, I'm definitely going to do the advocate. That's a fact. But I want to also um, see what what the um, the general public or consensus may be, uh, and get some other opinions. I'll mute my line. I know Dr. Sharazad Ali. She's been a guest on the program. She was in Hidden Colors. Uh, she said that her uh, son was doing same thing, exceptional. She had him homeschooled, and then she switched him to public schools, and he started having lots of problems, so she just uh, took him back out of the school. It's 
Minister Farrakhan references them as the killing fields for a reason. Uh, it's going to be designed to produce a lot of those problems consistently. Like you can you can certainly advocate and go in, uh, but yeah, if you can look for alternatives, that would certainly be helpful as well because it's just it's designed for it to be more difficulties, more difficulties, particularly if you have a black child that is intelligent, brilliant. Sounds like it's the case here. Uh, do we have other parents who had uh, any recommendations on how you would deal with this situation? Parents? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, I am not a parent, but I definitely experience what um, is being said right now by the brother. And I would say that the first race soldiers are not the police officers. They are the teachers. The teachers are there to kill skills, to kill our education. And the second line of race soldiers is indeed um, police officers and judges and, and whatnot. Now, my suggestion would be to apply three different things. Uh, the first thing that you have to make sure you do uh, is at the child level. Because the trauma and the mental health of the, the kid at school that is experiencing that, that kind of treatment, you know, it is very, very sensitive. So you, you have to make sure that you, 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 the, your child stay, stay being proud of himself um stay with his mental health you have to praise him you have to uh, practice sport with him make sure that you know he keeps his intelligence intact that's at the child level the second thing is at the school level you have to start asking questions to the school and you have to make sure that it is in writing you have to send them letters about um, what is the curriculum what is the goal for educate, educating our kids? What is the long-term goal next year? Uh, do they have any, any visit or travel organized? How are they going to operate? You have to make sure to ask as many questions as you can. Because the more questions you ask, the more grounds you're going to have if something goes wrong. And the third thing that I would do is at the community level. You have to um, uh, ask around over parents of um, children of color if they are experiencing the same thing. And of course, I'm sure the answer is going to be yes. But you have to work around and start um, interacting with them and, and, and ask them what kind of solution do, do, they, do they suggest. I'm with my line. Thank you. Um, can I can I comment on some of the things you said? Um, uh, I thank you for that. Some of the things I've I've actually already started to implement. One of my main concerns is the fact that, well, basically your last statement, there are very few brothers and sisters in this school. The school is predominantly non-white still, but it's um, predominantly Asian. And um, from my experience, I live in Brooklyn, by the way. I live in New York City. From my experience here, 
they don't have any issue um, speaking with us, hanging out with us, even sharing a drink. But um, when it comes to, obviously, dating their daughters or anything of that nature, when it becomes really intimate and you really become, it, it, it's a complete different story. And um, one of the concerns I do have, and I addressed this with uh, one of the teachers today, is that there is a, an Asian female student in the class that basically when the conversation came up about countries and they were speaking about Africa, she said, I heard Africa was a horrible place. It's a bad place and it's a dark place. All these negative connotations were compounded on it. And uh, my son, I discussed race with him constantly. Um, I even let him listen to the show on a daily basis as much as possible, even on Friday when we're doing the book reading. And, um, you know, he, 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 he responds and he said, you know, you have issues, you're racist, you're, you know, he, he, not, he, he articulates himself and let things be known. Um, so I may have to consider actually, from what I'm understanding right now, from the way this sounds, this doesn't sound like it's going to end up positive for him, even if it's a non-white school. I may have to move him into a more diverse school where it's more brothers and sisters or a mixture. Um, that's what it, that's what it sounded like to me. Um, but again, I, I'm, I'm still feeling, figuring everything out and, uh, I'll see, but, um, I'll, I'll mute my line for any further comments. We have folks in the New York area who are aware of resources for parents, black parents, that would be helpful if you send it my way. I'll tweet it and put it on my Facebook page as well so folks can check it out. Uh, we have other folks who dialed in. If you have a hand up, if you have comments on workplace racism, if you have your own situation or if you have commentary on what's been shared thus far, feel free. Good evening. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, quickly, just two incidents. Um, for myself, so at work, uh, just prior to the to the Thanksgiving holiday, uh, one of my coworkers is a young white female, approximately 20, 21, 22 years old. Um, I go, you know, and I, if it's not work related, um, I don't talk to her uh, pretty much. Um, I do if. She, if she attempts to talk to me, uh, you know, I, I try to talk back, but uh, I typically don't talk to her. But anyway, she asked me, she calls my name and says, hey, are you, uh, you going to be taking uh, extra days off for the Thanksgiving holiday? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm taking a couple of days off or whatever. And then... Uh, so I guess my qualification, I, I asked her, and sometimes I like to hear what white people have to say. So I said, uh, what about yourself? Which I already knew that she she was taking some days off. She's like, yes, I'm going back home to visit my parents, and my uh, my boyfriend is going with me. I'm like, oh, is that so? And I, <clears throat> I've met her boyfriend, um, not from her introducing me or anything. I just, he works in the same, in a different building, but uh, the same, uh, I guess the same area or that uh, I work in. Uh, and I happened to meet him, um, which didn't involve her. 
but anyway, uh, so he appears to be, I'm, I'm guessing, and I'm not sure, he's a non-white uh, male, and I would guess that he has a black, a black parent and a white parent, or he has possibly two non-white black parents. They just have, I guess, less uh, melanin than, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of black people or whatever. Anyway, so she says she, she's going home and he, he's going with her. And I guess she, um, he's met her, her mom already, but this time he'll meet her mom and dad. And she's like, oh yeah, I'm kind of nervous about it. And I'm like, okay. And I'm, I said, why are you nervous? She's like, well, you know, um, we just watched the movie Get Out, Get Out last night. And you know, and I just don't want him to be freaked out, and I'm just kind of nervous about it uh, as well. And I'm like, well, it sounds like he should be more nervous than you, whatever. And um, but basically, she was like, yeah, he never met my dad, and I'm just worried about how things are gonna go. And I just, I just thought that was uh pretty interesting or whatever. But she, she really, um, I felt like she really wanted to tell me this because typically, like I said, I don't talk to her, but uh, she opened up with asking me what I'm going to be, or if I'm taking any uh, additional vacation days. And, she, uh, and of course, she told me about that. So uh, just another situation was when um, I, I'm doing, I'm in the process of a background check, which I feel is a little, the process is a little racist, um, so to speak. I would say it's racist because it's it's been a much more a much more thorough than I've ever had it before. You know, you I, I answered a lot of questions online on the online survey, and then some um, I guess investigators or background investigators actually came to my workplace and interviewed me, and I and I felt like I was being you know interrogated, so to speak. Um, and I, I've never taken a polygraph, and I, I'm happy for that. I hope I don't ever have to. But, you know, they asked me a whole bunch of stuff about, you know, drug use, tickets that I had that I've forgotten about, like traffic tickets that I've gotten, um, uh, any association with anybody outside of the country, and just a lot of stuff. But anyway, so I did that uh, that primary interview with two white people, a white male and a white female, so, but then a white female calls me back and says, hey, I, I need some more information. Something didn't go through uh, regarding your uh, education or whatever. And I'm like, you know, that just sounded strange to me. So I said, okay, what do you need? She told me that she needed, you know, my diploma. I'm like, hmm, okay. All right, cool. And I'm like, hey, I can just send it in to you. I can, um, e I can scan it and email it facts here, whatever, so we don't have to meet because I, I, I don't want any more contact with them. And uh, she was like, oh, no. Uh, first she said yes, and then she uh, said, no, actually, I'll just, I'll, I'll just come up there and you can give me a copy. And I'll, I still think that's strange or whatever. So, But anyway, during, when she came back up to get my proof of my degree or my diploma, my manager or yeah, my supervisor, uh, he doesn't know about the situation. Uh, 
So, because she was supposed to just come in, I hand this over to her and she should leave. But he happened to be in, um, passing by. So he passed through and stopped. And I'm like, oh, he's going to, he's about to be nosy. So he tells a joke like, oh, whoa, what's going on here? I'm like, oh, just, you know, giving, uh, um, giving her some information or whatever. He's like, oh, it's going down. Do, do we need to get an attorney for you? And starts laughing. I'm says, um, I'm like, sir, it's, nothing's going down here whatsoever. And he finally, he stood there looking awkward for a while. Then he uh, finally passed through. But um, that's it. That's all I have for uh, today. Thanks for letting me share it, guys. I appreciate it. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Um Wow. What can I say? It's it's doesn't get much better than tacky. I think that's how Mr. Fuller phrases it. I think sometimes whites they like to share those type, you know, little tacky anecdotes uh with her partner that she's sexually suing and you know we're going to meet our parents and just you know all that nonsense uh it's like their own little version of racial theater uh or or guess who's coming to dinner uh type thing like oh i hope it's gonna be like come on come on i mean not gonna get much better than tacky and again that's why i recommend you know i think you said uh, sometimes you just like to hear what they're going to say when they come up, you know, with these uh, type engagements on the workplace where they just want to make some sort of casual banter. Uh, sometimes you'll just ask them questions to see, and that's, you're doing counter racist experiments right on. Uh, but that's why I encourage avoiding any sort of commentary like that, where you make it plain that you're just here to do business and we're just going to keep things work related uh, because once it veers off, that's where you're going to end up going some sort of tackiness uh, and talking about their sexual arrangements and wanting to know about your sexual activity. And uh, in my view, try and minimize as much of that as you can. But that is that is fascinating if it's kind of racist study. And that's what she chose to volunteer. Um, let's see other folks, if you all have uh, commentary questions uh, on what's been shared thus far, uh, if you have a hand up line should be open. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Um, I wanted to start out with a, uh, an incident um, from the the uh, white woman, the uh, 23-year-old, uh, who was talking about the uh, lynching. And she said... Um, I don't know if I made the statement, but she said, if you see it on, if you see this on the news, you can say that I called it like I predicted it, you know, I prophesized it or whatever. Um, <laughs> there was a, a black male who, uh, you know, given his, um, thorough conditioning as a uh, victim, he, like I noticed he had uh, some hostility toward me. Uh, he was, he was asking where she was. You know, I was just getting back from lunch. So, um, you know, I was like, yeah, where, where is such and such? I'm like, oh, well, you know, she's still on lunch. I'm not sure what time she uh, she had clocked out or whatever because, you know, she – and, you know, I do admit she does help, you know, a couple of black people. But um, it just goes to show you the uh, aspect of deception and, you know, being arch deceivers. 
uh, she said the guy was thuggish. Like, I guess she was saying, now she said, okay, this is one of my favorite customers, him and another black male and the other black male who's having issues with his property. Um, I guess the guy is a racist suspect. You know, he pulled the gun on him, things like that. And um, she was telling him to get like a gun permit or whatever. But the same one, like the same white woman, you know, still showing contempt, disregard for black, uh, you know, black people. Um, you know, she said, yeah, this is one of my favorite customers. And she was, when she went into describing them, you know, she said that he was thuggish. Okay. And, you know, I guess the guy had on a gold watch or whatever, but regardless of what article of clothing he had on, still loves, you know, embraces using that term to describe a black male. So yeah, she, she said that he was thuggish and he was black. Um, the next, uh, incident was I was, uh, speaking to a white woman who, uh, she, she moved to another building and it, a couple of years ago, I don't know if anybody remembers, but she thought that I was accusing her of being a racist, which I didn't accuse her. So, um, so her son had cancer. So, you know, I was asking how, you know, how things been with him. So she said something interesting. Uh, she said that, you know, when you, yeah, you're a cancer patient, you have to, I guess, go to a point where you have to uh, lose your hair. So he was growing his hair back. And she said that he, I guess, got upset when they made a joke toward him about, you know, man, like, you got this short haircut. You you look like a Richard Spencer follower. And I said, what? <laughs> he looked like a, and she said, yeah, he looks like a Richard Spencer follower. I'm like, like, what do you mean by that? Like, yeah, he looks like a, a skinhead, okay? And I'm like, well, what if he just want to just have his hair cut low or whatever? And she just said she just uh, was, I guess, joking with him. And, you know, she's still using that word redneck or whatever. Um, but yeah, I wanted to share that one. That was number two. Uh, number three was, uh, I was approached today by a, um, a white person who was saying like, man, uh, looks like, <laughs> okay, not verbatim. Like his words was, uh, looks like he'd been casted out. So I said, Hey, I guess so. You know, and I knew what he was talking about. Okay, and, and he was saying, "Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on with this." So you know, and he he walks away. So you know, I started to do a, another job or whatever. So I go back there, and I was asking him, you know, because uh, he he's in charge of the computers and the uh, the tech stuff and all of that kind of stuff, setting up computers, printers and stuff like that. So he was just saying like how he was in a meeting with the more powerful white people. And he was, um, I guess, uh, trying to say like, why are y'all moving his desk? And the girl who's getting a, uh, a desk where my area was, uh, the same female, you know, was telling me to wear a tuxedo 
and, uh, you know, I should be Clark Kent. You know, these are white images, um, like non-white female. And I guess, you know, she's supposed to be starting a new position. But he was saying that, you know, they had made the decision already. He was saying sometimes they know how to, them, to employ around here, and then other times they just don't know what they're doing. So I guess, you know, I guess he... Um, and in some kind of way called itself, I guess, trying to speak up for me or whatever. But, you know, I ain't surprised that, uh, you know, white people, they, they dominate. Um, I, I, I am suspicious of that, but uh, part of me, I, I do kind of see it was a, a bit genuine because he said, like, man, I don't know if I should be talking to you about this, you know. So I guess he's just, I guess, tried to make an attempt. They're trying to say, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this, but you know they um, they overpowered them, I guess. So uh, that was that um, that uh, story right there, that anecdote. The last one, I was walking in the civil area. This place, like fresh. Um, I was given a white person, a white female, like her uh, her folder that she usually gets. To do her job, you know, real courteous, like, oh, you know, do you have something? I was like, oh, yeah, I was going to try and find you right now. So, you know, very courteous exchange. Now, the black male, the supervisor that I usually talk to, uh, I noticed, you know, he just had this look on his face. And I noticed he's gotten into these exchanges with other white girls, you know, other white women there. And he said something like, you know, like, what are you, what are you, oh, he was like, yeah, don't talk to her. She just mean and this and that. And I was like, uh-oh. So <laughs> she said, she said, I got my ones, okay? That was the term she used. And then he says, I got my nine millimeter. And then she says, I'm going to, I'm going to go and get my, I guess some kind of gun, okay? And then he says, well, that's only, that's if you make it to your car. And, uh. I guess they, I don't know, maybe they they kind of play around like that. I don't even know if I want to use that term. But they're, um, you know, mentioning violence and whatnot. Like they're going to commit violence toward each other with the use of firearms. So I just looked at the other white woman there. And uh, I said, because she was mentioning about the Christmas spirit. And I said, does this look like the Christ Christmas spirit right here? And she said no, so I just walked off. And uh, that's all of the events that I have right now. Thanks for allowing me to share. Wow. That is <laughs> context of white supremacy. Did I mention we're doing Wisdom of Psychopaths uh, tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific? Third study session. <clears throat> Brilliant work by Mr. Kevin Dutton, Wisdom of Psychopaths. Friday, every Friday. <clears throat> with the incidents, I had to write them down. That is hilarious. Funniest thing that I've heard of the day, the uh, child being called a Richard Spencer follower uh, by someone who falsely accused you of being a racist previously. Like, wow. Um, the white woman who has these black people, I guess, that she likes or they think she's helpful or whatever it is. And she described one of them as being thuggish and black. I thought those were almost uh, synonyms. 
you said this is the same person who had made the comment about the lynching. Was that did that involve like somebody, some sort of interracial dating thing, quote unquote? And she was saying, like, uh, I guess some white people didn't approve of this and that they would uh, lynch the person. Or what was the anecdote? Yes, it, she was she was talking about a guy who I guess he's locked up now, like in a, in a jail or whatever. And it was apparently she is dating someone who I guess has a, a, a male friend who has an offspring, you know, white offspring with this white girl who is in a, uh, I guess, a tragic arrangement with the guy who's locked up. So she was describing this uh, white woman as being, I guess, uh, ghetto. She used the term ghetto because she has a tattoo of his name on her neck. And she's taking these Instagram selfies and all that, uh, showing that she's saying, well, free such and such and all of this. So she she started there and she was saying, man, like, you know, I just don't get why she likes to date these thugs. Okay, T-H-U-G. Um, and then she looks at me and says, man, why, you know, this is the classic. Uh, I know you heard of this tactic when they'll look at a, a black person who, who presents himself, you know, his image, you know, wearing slacks or something like that, something that they consider that's a good image of a black male or, you know, a decent image. Like, why why can't they look like you, you know? Why can't they be somebody like you? Okay. So then she goes into the saying, like, yeah, she just keeps dating these thugs. And then, yeah, you know, they shot at these two people that was having a party in a house, and I guess it was over some drugs or weed or something. So the parents, he, she said, if he were to be released, I guess um, if he were to get out of jail, then the uh, the white person who died, I think she said his name was Christian or something like that. Like his family would go find that black male and then like attempt to hang him because she called them hicks and racists. She was talking about some kind of family from some other city or something like that. Um, but she sounded very certain, um, describing him as racist. Uh, so I guess she would definitely have to be racist as well to be, you know, uh, saying that they're racist. At least that's what I was thinking. But, you know, I was quiet when she was saying that. And uh, she said, yeah, you know, they would, they would just hang them in front of everybody. Like, that's how she said it. So when I asked her, meaning like a public lynching, like, you know, on TV or something. And she said, oh, yeah, said something like that. And she said, um, and if y'all do hear about that on the news, you can say that I called it. And I looked over the the white woman, both of them young. Now, she ain't saying nothing, okay? She, she keeping quiet, okay? And now that's, you know, I think racist too. Um, now, she, you know, very intelligent person talk about all other kind of stuff, but you ain't confronting her unless that's that silent agreement thing they do. Okay. Like you want agreement with her. So yeah, that's what she was basically referring to. It started out with the area eight thing. And she went into talking about the uh, lynching. If he were to be, you know, released from jail. So that's what she meant by that. Great. Glad to get the refresher. I forgot some of the details. I could see that silent white woman, uh, perhaps going to her at a later date and saying, you know, you should not be saying that sort of thing publicly, like 
shut up. You know, you talk about that uh, on the job. Like, you're not supposed to be predicting lynchings uh, in the future. Like, what is wrong with you? Get your get your code together, man. You can't be sitting in the courthouse predicting lynchings of Negras uh, in the future, even if they are going to do it. Um, the other, uh, let's see. The other one, I guess, with the one, did you get the impression that uh, when they were, I guess, sharing where the person got overpowered in the meeting where they decided who was going to be hired or who was going to get the position. Did you get the impression that they were trying to imply that this uh, non-white person, I think it was a non-white female who got this position was not qualified? Uh, I think, I'm not sure if he was saying that she wasn't qualified, but I think in, in terms of maybe the, like, I guess he considered that, that kind of moving because my desk is in the other area across like when you go through the doors, it's in the research area. So my main desk was in the place she's supposed to be um, sitting at. So I guess he was saying like they could have chose some other kind of spot where she could sit at and they didn't have to move me. Mm-hmm. And he said he thought it was wrong that they were moving me. So, uh, and I guess he, he didn't name the people, but I'm assuming, you know, given, you know, the power dynamic that these were um, white people who he said, like, made the decision. So he said that, uh, he said he was uh, sorry to hear that. And, you know, he said, you know, uh, I guess something about, I know I probably shouldn't be telling you this, you know, talking to you about it or whatever. But, yeah, he had approached me initially, like, this morning about that because they're supposed to be ordering me a new desk. So I guess, like, my... Um, like uh, PC, the the two monitors and stuff like that. They're gonna be uh like on there on the table, like waiting for uh my new desk to come in. So I guess this uh, girl gonna be sitting in that desk where I used to be at, and she's been uh very. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. I mean, I guess you can say flirtatious or whatever, but you know, I've just been trying to avoid her. Um, but it's not nothing too serious. But I get the sense that she tried to be trying to send in advances and stuff like that. But you know, it's nothing too severe. But that's the um the female who just got the uh, who's going to be replacing the white woman who's going to retire uh, in December. So that's the uh, deal with that one. I see. I see. Always great to understand who is making the decisions about what's going to be happening. If you get that new table or not, if you get to keep the monitors, if you get moved, always good to keep. That's why I said I've uh, recommended before using that, uh, not using the possessive adjective my on the job, that all of this stuff, including the job, is theirs. Uh, they get to decide whether I keep these their monitors, whether I get to use their desk, their chair and all of the other. Uh, I think that's very healthy uh, so that we don't get confused uh, about what's happening while we are on their job. Uh, great notes. Great notes. Uh, do we have other folks uh, who doubt any if you had comments on what you've heard thus far or if you want to share your own uh, commentary, uh, feel free. Can it be heard? Yes, sir. Greetings, everyone. 
uh, kind of like uh, just tuning in to listen. <clears throat> uh, as far as on uh, my job as a uh, football coach, we're at the time of the year uh, where our season is just over uh, and the phase that uh, football coaches go into is the uh, for the uh, basically looking out for the seniors, the, the graduating seniors, is the uh, process for those who uh, are going to college or aspire to go to college. Uh, as most of everybody would know, that uh, it is very difficult to get a scholarship athletic scholarship to uh, attend college. Uh, but uh, we encourage the uh, seniors to aspire to uh, get involved with something other than just football. And uh, when it comes to college, uh, something that would uh, eventually uh, go into uh, some source of employment and you're going to college to uh, to uh, get the certifications and the knowledge that you need to uh, be able to uh, go into that particular profession. Uh, also, uh, an option is to something other than college, uh, you know, trade or whatever, that sort of thing. Whatever, basically what I explain to them is, uh, is uh, uh, to find out what you like to do, uh, even if, despite of you not being paid for it, and by the way, somebody is paying you for it, and whatever that task is, that's, that's something that you might want to pursue. Uh, and I'm, I'm mentioning this on workplace racism because uh, being that I am talking to a black male and I am a black male uh, under the system of racist white supremacy, that is a very, very difficult task to achieve, put it that way, to achieve under the circumstances as mo mo everybody that I know of who's on this program understands. Uh, uh, so... That's basically, I just wanted to uh, report that, uh, that the task itself is very difficult. Uh, but at this time, if they're seniors, they're, they got a good, they, they're in the task now of listening more because they're near the end of their high school uh, career, for one thing. And they, they are understanding that they have to uh, be able to move to something else in a very short period of time, we talk about a matter of months uh, when when school would be out, public school system would be out, and if you're a senior, then you you know you you're making decisions on what you're going to do further in your life. So, and as I can recall from being 17 many years ago, uh, I wouldn't say it was frightening, but it was something somewhat exciting. 
uh, you know, uh, to the point to whereas, you know, you, you, you uh, would look for someone who is older to may give you that assistance. Uh, if not parents or some other somebody else who may be uh, in a position that uh, you look up to uh, that uh, also played the sport, uh, then you would kind of like want to inquire more. And that's basically what we're doing. And as I uh, will remind everybody that this is a uh, all-black coaching staff. And there's only... One, two, three young people on the team that would not be racially classified as black out of, I think, something like uh, it's about 60 on varsity and about another 50 or so on junior varsity that I'm talking about. Uh, so, uh, Basically, uh, we're we're still we're still working at it. We're still working at it. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do in that in that atmosphere, as far as sharing with uh, young people. Uh, to the to the parent that was talking about his son, uh, uh, being that uh, my offspring is 21 now, but I did I did have him with me when uh, he was in high school. Stay constantly in touch with his teachers as well as the principal. Uh, when you're looking for a uh, school, when you're looking for a school, you uh, actually are, you know, interviewing people like the principal and his staff and how, how they behave as far as that concern. And, uh, you know, that, that's basically what I did. I, I, I had a good relationship with the principal uh, I purposely, one of the reasons why I picked the high school that uh, my son attended is because uh, it was a black male who was in charge. Uh, he gave a, an analysis of my son within about five minutes that was, that I deemed was very accurate. Uh, and that gave me a good insight to send him to that particular high school. It was all male. Uh, it was on like a private school kind of motif, but it was actually a public school where they had to wear, you're required to wear a uniform, uh, slacks, hard sole shoes, uh, shirt and tie, uh, which, you know, I'm not so much into that uniform situation, but what it does, it does, it does keep some sort of level of discipline, uh, when you have that. And it was a very small populated, uh, public school. Uh, I think it had about maybe at the most maybe 50 males, and I would say about 95% of them were black males. Uh, so that was a good situation for, for I think, my offspring. Uh, he did graduate, and he's in college now, and he just finished and got his AA degree, and he's going to get uh, – the other two years so he can get a, a bachelor's. Uh, and uh, I would uh, stick around and just listen to everybody else. Thank you. Appreciate that, retired firefighter. 
spectacular. The great use of time and energy. I will get that in trying to share constructive information with young folks, seniors, high school folks who are starting out and trying to slip in some counter racist nuggets, as well as just important uh, life lessons and information like that is great use of time and energy reaching out to young, young black people. Uh, Let's see. We had a person who wrote in since we came on the air this evening. Uh, They had commentary on workplace racism uh, from a black male. Uh, I was at a work conference today and during the lunch hour, myself and my two coworkers, let's call them Sam and Ken, were seated at the dining table waiting for lunch to be served. A third coworker, let's call him Edward, who works for the same company, walks toward our table. Edward lives and works on the West Coast, and myself, Sam, and Ken all work on the East Coast. I don't frequently see Edward or talk to him for work purposes, but have but I have definitely met him at least once or twice in the past. I am seated sandwiched between Sam and Ken. As Edward walks up, he greets Sam and Ken by saying hello and shaking their hands, but he completely ignores me. He literally skips over me. He did not say hello, did not shake my hand. He didn't even make eye contact with me. I'm a black male. Sam is a non-black, non-white male, and Ken is a white male. All of us are in our early 30s. Edward is an older white male in his late 50s. When this happened, I made eye contact with Ken and raised my eyebrow to indicate that that was a strange interaction. At lunch, Edward and I never talked or made eye contact. Later on that day, I decided to ask Edward about this and find out why he was so discourteous. I walked up to him during a snack break. I used a very soft tone and smiled while I talked to him. I asked him when he walked up to the lunch table earlier this afternoon, why was it that he said hello and shook the hands of Sam and Ken, but did not consider saying hello to me or shaking my hand? I took him by surprise and he seemed to be flustered that I would be asking such a question. He started to stutter. He said that he had previously worked with Ken and he knew Sam, but he was not sure if he had met me in the past. I assured him that we had spoken last year, but he continued to say that he just did not know if he had met me and that he did not do it on purpose. I I accepted his explanation, although I do not believe him. I ended the conversation by saying thank you and enjoy the rest of the conference, still with a smile on my face. I do not know exactly why he was so rude to me. I believe that he was sending a message that he did not like me or did not respect me. I believe that had I not been a young black male, this would not have happened. When I asked the non-black, non-white Sam about this, he agreed that it was strange. Even though I was disrespected by Edward, I wanted to show that I had enough black self-respect, there's that word again, that I was not going to let this incident pass without talking to him about it. My question is, did I handle this situation the right way? Can there be negative ramifications towards me for asking Edward about the perceived slight? Hmm. Well, that is interesting. Uh, Let's see. I might need a little bit more information since uh, if I'm reading this correctly, Edward, you said he lives on the West Coast and everybody else is on the East Coast. It says that you don't 
frequently uh, see Edward or talk to him for work purposes. So I don't know how it would have negative ramifications if you all don't have very much interaction with regards to work. Uh, If he has influence, since he's an older white man, if he's a more powerful racist white supremacist and you think he might be able to somehow, you know, influence uh, people to not work with you or make things more difficult for you in your work situation. Um, But I I just I don't know that that would be that likely just for you asking uh, if there was a reason that he didn't, you know, acknowledge you uh, that you all had met before and he seemed to leave you out. I don't know if that would be grounds for a vendetta, although whites have mistreated us for far less uh, infractions, sometimes for not doing anything at all. Uh, I think, like I said, I have consistently recommended ask questions, ask questions, staying in the question lane. I think that's the best option. If all you did was ask, you know, was there a reason that you didn't uh, acknowledge me when you spoke to everyone else? Uh, And he, you know, stuttered or stammered or whatever it was. And then finally just insisted that he didn't he wasn't sure if he met you all before. I don't think that should be anything to to be concerned about. At least at this point, I would wait until someone says something. Um, I guess there are other ways that you can handle it. Uh, I guess there are other questions that perhaps could have been asked. Uh, You could have perhaps logged it, not said anything. Uh, I think black self-respect, I've talked about that today. I think that is important. Um, And I think even in those type of situations that does communicate, that is body messaging. I think we talked about that before. I think Roz specifically, that does communicate a message uh, in terms of your importance. I think it's just common courteous courtesy. If you're at a lunch, if this is a business lunch or you all are eating together as as colleagues, co-workers, if I come up, even if I didn't uh, work with everybody, there, even if I didn't know everybody there, if I'm going to come up to the table uh, and speak to one or two people, I'm going to acknowledge everybody, even if it's, uh, you know, oh, I don't know you. I'm Gus. You know, nice to meet you. OK, Sam. And, you know, Ken, I know you guys. I'll let you all get a nice to meet. That's common courtesy. So and I think that sends a message. If I come up and I speak to everyone at the table and shake hands with everyone at the table. But this one person, regardless if I know him or not, that sends, you know, body language uh, that communicates uh, an important message, I think, to everyone else there. And uh, just, yeah, acknowledging that I don't see anything incorrect about that. Anybody have a suggestion? Anybody think he handled that incorrectly or have a suggestion about how that could be handled in a in a better way that would not cause any future problems? May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, I, I know personally I wouldn't have um, approached the white man who did that. I just would have um, just logged it. But I also don't see any um, anything as far as the black man, what he did is being negative. However, um, like Augusta said, that white people, they do, you know, they – they keep track of everything. So I feel like, um, I guess the white man's name or his um, nickname or whatever might have been Ken. If Ken was actually, I feel like since he got flustered, since he did not think that um, that black male would have enough self-respect to approach him about, um, he knew what he was doing. His, his, his clear wrongdoing. You, you can't just completely um, disregard someone and not only just um, just wrongdoing, but I think that's really unprofessional. I would definitely just um, be aware because like it's been said on this show before white people, they do talk. So that could, um, 
be turned around. I would not be surprised if Ken would try to turn it around as if, you know, even though um, the black male, he was not being aggressive or anything. They always like to say, you know, you're aggressive or, you know, I felt like I was being attacked, especially if you caught this probably this uh, suspected racist um, um, off guard. Uh, that's all I wanted to add. Thank you. Hmm. Yeah, it definitely sounds like you caught him off guard with the question. Appreciate that, uh, Red in Nevada. Sounds like you caught him off guard. I uh, think it could have just been why wow, I did not expect that that nigger would come, you know, ask me about me snubbing him in front of uh, our colleagues, coworkers, however you want to want to describe them. But and white people do talk. Absolutely. That very important white people network all the time. That's one of the major tenets of racism, white supremacy. So there might be uh, an exchange, an email or two between, you know, different whites about that. But if they do that sort of thing. Anything. I don't I don't know if it's anything incorrect about what you did or. Yeah, even offhand, I don't even have a suggestion that in terms of uh, handling it in a better uh, manner. Uh, certainly, you could have not said anything at all, but black self-respect is important as well. Any Anybody else have comments, suggestions on how this uh, black male handled the situation? Grand, grand. For other folks who died, and if uh, you have uh, comment, question, uh, you want to make sure you get in, feel free. Uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, greetings to you guys and to the other calls and listeners. Um, I couldn't chime in earlier. I was uh, predisposed, though, listening to um, the program. I did send you a couple of emails for the black male from Brooklyn, that um, one is a directory of um, black uh, African-centered schools in the, um, and it hasn't for across the country, but it does for, d does have a section on New York City. Um, also, my wife had a very good friend that relocated from the West Coast to uh, Brooklyn as well, and she has a young son. And she ended up finding a collective of black parents that were homeschooling their children and they basically worked together um, to help each other with scheduling, and they had specific parents that would actually be on the teaching duties for everyone's children. Um, so you might want to look into see if look into that and see if there's any parents in your area that um, that might be uh, that might or might have formed some sort of homeschooling collective, which can be helpful if if you don't have a schedule that allows for you to stay home and school your child yourself. Um, also, if you do choose to homeschool, one of the programs in the directory was also um, in, 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 uh, in addition to um, homeschooling. So basically, they assist homeschoolers with like after-school programs, things like that, where they provide um, all kinds of stuff for, for the black children, music, yoga, meditation, um, African-centered enrichment curriculum, drumming, all kinds of stuff. So hopefully... Um, you'll be able to, you know, find find what you need for your child. I'm sorry, you have to go through that. And it's interesting you said that the school that your child was in um, was was uh, majority non-white but Asian because I know that uh, the area that was my stomping ground was Fort Greene. And now there's quite a few um, Asians, I would say probably Chinese specifically from what I saw. And I know that China has been buying up a lot of the most expensive real estate in the United States since the United States is um, bankrupt in a receivership. And a lot of those Chinese children and parents, when they come here, 
they get the white supremacist indoctrination that, you know, black people are trouble. They don't, they don't care about education. They're criminals. They're dangerous. Um, all of the things that you said that the young Chinese students said about Africa, all of that is stuff that they're indoctrinated with even before they get to the United States. Any sort of, um, you know, news that they get related to the, to the Western Hemisphere, specifically the United States, when it deals with black people, is going to be negative. So um, I totally understand um, what you're dealing with. So hopefully you can facilitate rectifying that and putting it somewhere you need him to be, or hopefully homeschooling, which I think is probably the best bet with all of the things that are happening. Um, in reference to the polygraph, weirdly enough, you brought up a memory from like 20 some odd years ago for me. I was way more confused. And um, a friend of mine's wife had given me information about um, the FBI hiring. And I had gone through this rigorous process, and I'm so thankful it didn't happen because I really didn't want to take the job. But it was like the only thing that was offered to me at the time, and I needed a job. So I was like, okay, I'll try it. But it was something I just was totally averted to, didn't want to do. And I'm glad because I failed the math test, so I never got it. But I remember when they um, had me fill out some of the paperwork, it did state that in certain instances, I might be forced to take a polygraph test depending on the context of the situation that was taking place. So um, that was a situation that I personally encountered. Thankfully, like I said, I did not get the job, didn't want the job in the first place. So worked out to my benefit in that regard. But I did want to chime in on that. Um, also, the uh, Thomas, uh, horrible, horrible medical apartheid. We just had a radio show last night where we dealt with um, genocide against black people, which included abortions and also included uh, vaccinations and the flu shot and all the medical evidence of autism and all kinds of other diseases related to the, the different vaccinations because these vaccinations, the ingredients in them are mind-blowing and how deadly they are. Um, and a lot of times they'll have uh, the virus is in the vaccination and it's not a dead virus, it's still live. So you can actually end up being infected, which a lot of people have, and they talked about it in the video we played last night, by the actual vaccination. Um, one thing you can do to help protect yourself from any adverse uh, reactions, and I, I think you said you weren't feeling well to try and accelerate your healing process, is to get your hands on some colloidal silver. Colloidal silver is the original antibiotic before white people created this toxic, these toxic vaccines and antibiotics. The, the global antibiotic was uh, colloidal silver, and it kills just about everything. You can get um, uh, 240 parts per million at about $25 on Amazon. You can dilute a little bit, but I'll say if you're sick, you might want to take it. <laughs> take it um, very. Don't dilute it too much so that it can be as strong as possible because those nanoparticles of silver, um, the more of those particles are in your system, the more germs and diseases it can kill. So that is something you can do, I, I would say, to thwart any um, negative reactions that you may have to the vaccinations that the, the forced vaccination that they you know, provided to you. Um, also, I had a personal anecdote about from about maybe two weeks ago. No, maybe yeah, about two weeks ago. It might be less than that. Um, my wife actually was about to leave the house to take care of some business, and there was a white man right outside of her home who had a, 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 a 18-wheeler truck. We don't get many trucks on this block whatsoever, and she said as she was pulling out, the guy, you know, smiled at her and waved or whatever, and she just kind of looked back at him and she pulled off. Now, I told, him, I told you guys before my wife is more confused, so she's always said due to the severe mistreatment that black people have um, exhibited against her, 
she's had the mentality that if a, whoever's nice to her, she's nice to them. That's been her general way of being, but she's become a little more refined in her code um, after being with me and some, listening to some episodes of, of this program. So um, as she pulled off, she didn't think anything of it. So she comes back and his truck is parked right in front of the driveway, like completely blocking the driveway. She could not get in or out. Come to find out there was something with the water company or whatever the case may be that caused them to be in the area. But, um, you know, she said, oh, he was, you know, he was nice and blah, blah, blah. Well, not nice, but he was pleasant. And I didn't think she would do something like that. So eventually uh, the police showed up. And they were asking her if she wanted to have his vehicle towed, and they were actually planning to. She explained to them her father was a former uh, correction officer, so them being police, they really wanted to help the daughter of a former officer. So they were like, <laughs> I'm sorry, two of them offered to immediately tow the, have the vehicle towed. She said, no, I don't want him to get in trouble with his job, blah, 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 blah. And she said she kept thinking about me because she knows I'd have been like towed immediately. But she, she, you know, she she wanted to do what she thought was the nice thing to do, and um, she afterwards came to me and said, you know, I think I made a mistake. She said, you know, I know that you can be a lot a lot more stringent in your code and the way you deal with white people, but I think you know I've been conditioned to psychologically conditioned to just not want any friction. And in doing so, I did something that was detrimental to myself. I was locked out of my driveway for an excessive period of time uh, trying to be, quote, unquote, nice to this white guy who she felt was going to get in trouble if the truck with his company, if the truck was towed. I was like, who cares? He's white. <laughs> you know, I said, if he can't handle, handle his truck being towed with his boss, then he's a waste of white skin. And but she took her to hindsight to think about that and double back and come to me and say, you know, next time I think I'm going to do what I what, I thought you would have done, which was to have the vehicle towed. Um, I said, no problem. I, I told her, I'm not, you know, no judgment here, but I said, understand that they're the enemy. And, and he, I said, he was quote unquote nice to you. You didn't think he would even do something like that. And as soon as you pulled off, he basically was like, you know, screw that N word, you know, I'm going to park here anyway. And I said, this is the way white people think all the time. And I said, I don't care how nice they are to you. I don't care what that, what, what, kind of uh, quote-unquote decent treatment they provide to you they're practicing racism even in being quote-unquote nice and I said you know it, it might take more time for it to dawn on you on the level that it has for me but understand that you don't do anything to help white people ever and she said okay and that was it now an update to my work situation and I'll be done sorry if I talk too long um I actually just recently uh got a position so I'll be starting uh next week Thursday so it's kind of uh, bittersweet for me because the time that I have been away has been so refreshing on a psychological level to not have to deal with the psycho machinations of white supremacists every day. So I'll be back in the in the mix in New York City, um, being around these white folks. And again, my, I'll tell it to everyone today. Like I say it every time I get a chance to speak when we talk about codes, develop a code from the day you walk in that building. Let them know you are no nonsense. Let them know you don't drink, you don't hang out, you don't celebrate horror days, you don't do none of that stuff. I'm here to do a job to the best of my ability. Anything that's work-related, I'm all for it. If it's personal, I have nothing to do with it. You don't carry any photographs of your family and post them all over the place because you'll, you might, might have some serious problems. We talked about that on the show. Don't bring anything to the job that's not related to the job. 
don't have any conversations that are not work-related. And I tell people all the time, I'm not here to be a friend. If I happen to make a friend on the job or become more closely associated with someone, I take that as a fringe benefit of being here. But I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to do a job. And I leave it at that, and that's usually what will be most protective to me down the road if anything else comes up. So I'm just putting that out there. If there's anyone else in transition as well, start from day one with that code and you'll be good. If you start off being extra friendly with these people and then you start to develop a code, you're going to be in serious trouble. Thank you. I'll mute my line. For sure. I tweeted uh, Roz's link with the African-Centered Schools and Cultural Programs Directory. I uh, tweeted it and put it on my Facebook page. It's on the CALS Facebook page as well, so you can check it out. Uh, review it, see where you are geographically and what resources are listed that are available for you. Uh, great recommendation. Make sure you are developing a code at work. You should have at least a fundamental code when you get there and then you can just evaluate, refine as you're on the job. You learn the environment, the race soldiers that you're around, what hazards you're going to have to neutralize on a regular basis. So you can constantly update and refine your code. That is what racist soldiers do. They refine their racist code constantly. We should be doing the same in the workplace. Uh, do we have other folks who had commentary that they wanted to make sure they got in? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay, this is Jen Cotton from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, I was wanting to speak on the uh, what the gentleman was saying the the right end, um, reiterating everything what uh, Ross was just talking about, and I agree wholeheartedly. But as far as what he experienced, these are things that he he is supposed to suspect it's going to happen, and it did happen. So when it happens, he did exactly the right thing. He addressed it, not to ask anybody. Uh, how they felt about it or try to get no, uh, no sympathy from, from no other white people or no other black people for that matter. Just that's the way he felt. He handled it the way that he was supposed to handle it. Uh, when these things arise, you have to uh, nip that in the butt right then, because if you don't, you are setting yourself up for a whirlwind of things to happen at your expense. So when he, uh, when he addressed that right then and there, that's how it should have been when, when it happened, he should address it right then in front of everybody. So it wouldn't be no private conversations. Everybody would have known what was going on, handle it from the forefront because it's, it's a lot of things that I agree with from the program. A lot of some things I don't. One of the things that I do agree with is that you handle those things right then and there. You address it at the point and that way. Not only does that person who you are who you are engaging with know how you feel and how you're going to handle things, but everybody else knows. So, like you said, just. Uh, is that they spread this stuff around. So 
when they come to the table to you next time, you may be the first person that they that they greet just to get that out the way because they don't want to deal with that. And these are things that you need to be that everybody needs to be made aware of so that will not be an issue. That's not going to mean that they're going to uh, dislike you anymore because they dislike you to the point to where they can't stand it anyway. But they're going to show you that respect because they know that you're not going to tolerate anything other than that. So that's what I would tell to the right-hand caller. But as far as uh, everything else that Ross was saying, I would agree with wholeheartedly. And with that being said, I will mute myself and uh, continue to listen to the program. Thank you. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, I don't don't have an issue. You'll have to let us know. And I do encourage folks to give us an update. If you uh, write in or if you call in and you share a situation uh, that you're going through, regardless, if you, you know, take any of the suggestions that are offered, uh, if you reject it all. I have a brain computer. I can think for myself and come up with my own uh, solutions of how I want to deal with this problem. Great. Uh, if you could update us and let us know, that helps us. We are all still learning. I'm certainly still learning. Uh, helps us know, you know, what what strategies work, uh, which ones are more effective, uh, just can be very helpful. So you can let us know if you think, you know, you experience any difficulties uh, in the future that might be related to this or seem like it might be evidence that this guy, Edward, as we're calling him, might have said something to someone or might be trying to cause you some difficulties. Uh, if things are not, uh, if he speaks, people will speak for you from now on, shake your hand from now on if you're in a group and it's no problems. Well, then, hey, one for black self-respect. Any other comments folks want to make sure they get in? Folks satisfied, got all their comments in or situations. Make sure. Make sure I plug for tomorrow. We'll be here for uh, the book club, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Mr. Kevin Dutton, uh, The Wisdom of Psychopaths. I'm thoroughly enjoying the book. Uh, We're only on chapter three, very early still in the book. So uh, if you've not tuned in, the archives are available. Check it out. Would highly recommend reading it. Dr. Rasayan is proud that we're checking out the book that he recommended, but that's tomorrow. Compensatory call in is this coming Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we should be broadcasting for the next several days. Uh, we had to reschedule our program uh, from yesterday, but that should be taken care of on Monday. So just tune in. Uh, we should be here uh, for the next at least three, four, I think, consecutive days. Uh, normal broadcast time for all of the programs. Uh, folks satisfied or have any other comments they wanted to make sure they got in? It's 
assume folks are satisfied. If we have folks who have to take the flu shot, I think people have asked about that before. I know some jobs you are obligated to do that. It's contingent if you want to remain employed there. I think some hospitals, I think some uh, academic settings uh, might require it. I think there's some other settings as well where they require it, but that might be uh, an important one as well. Uh, I know they have documentation where you can opt out of the vaccines for school. Uh, if people know if they have that for certain jobs, that would be great uh, as well. Uh, I've never had uh, employment where I was required to take a flu shot, but that would be constructive information. Uh, if people know about that, if there's any documentation or any resources uh, to help people, if, if they do not want to have to take that to keep their job, that would be great information. If I get any info, I will pass it along to other folks. Uh, and again, just remind folks, black self-respect, that is something that I think we do need to remember to take on the job, even in relation to the situation that uh, the male caller wrote in about, or the male listener wrote in about, uh, where he uh, questioned the white person, suspected racist, who did not greet him. Black self-respect, very, very important. It doesn't mean that you need to uh, question or challenge every single incident that happens on the job. That's just going to wear you out. Uh, and whites, they are so dedicated to racism, it's probably not going to be possible to question or challenge every incident. Uh, but I think, you know, each of us, we have our own threshold for where I think this is something that I want to question. Uh, this is incorrect. Uh, and my black self-respect tells me that I should say something about this. I definitely think it can be advantageous sometimes to just take notation, you document, you catalog, and then you can save and report a lot of these at the same time. These incidents, these infractions together, sometimes that can give you a stronger uh, case. Uh, but sometimes you do need to say something. Sometimes you need to ask a question. Something needs to be reported. Black self-respect will dictate. Uh, can only state again, replacing white supremacy with justice is more important than keeping a job. Uh, but that is a decision that each of us uh, has to make individually. Folks are satisfied. We will wrap uh, that. Good. Yes, sir. Good. Am I am I still open? This yes, is sir. Jenna from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yes, sir. Uh, real quick. I'm not sure if uh, you you've been made aware of this, but uh, right now this Bitcoin is taking on the form of uh, of the gold when the gold was being uh, stripped away from a lot of from a lot of us more so than the white community uh, back in the early 1920s. And uh, I was wondering if you was being made aware of this and if uh, there's a, a association that this is uh, black and white uh, and other uh, demographics that's been a part of this, but it's a great wealth transfer. And I wanted to know if you have been uh, made aware of this if not, then uh, I would like to get what I'm gonna do is I'm, I'm gonna give out my uh, my email address, and I would, if you could, only f so I could send you the link. And if you are not aware of this, I will fund this for you. But uh, Bitcoin, there's a thing called uh, Coins of Change, and right now it's uh, invite only. Uh, at the first of the year, they will be opening this up to the rest of the uh, community of the world. And I want to get you involved in this. And uh, 
they have a silver and they have a gold exchange. On that exchange, on the silver, you have the possibility to uh, put in $50 worth of Bitcoins for, uh, for I, I think it's uh, $2.1 million on the end. On the gold, you have a, a possibility of making 22 point two million dollars on the exchange and if you're not aware of that I would like to uh I would fund that for you. The only thing is that I would need your uh your input on that and when I say your input I mean your email and for anybody else that would like to get involved in this you don't have to necessarily uh contact me but uh Roz also has access to this also. So I would want to let that be known to y'all. I mean, with everything that's going on, we have wasted $50 on uh, a whole lot of stuff that, that is not beneficial to us, no matter what it was. So I wanted to uh, bring that out and make sure that you knew about that so that because this program is much needed and if you're not I'm not saying that you're not getting the donations that you need but if you have the uh, the financial capability to uh, take care of this without anybody else then that will be great also so I just want to throw that out there and my email if you would like to get in contact with me uh, Gus is uh, Hayes. 898 at gmail.com. That's J H A Y E S 898 at gmail.com. So, if you will, get at me. Let me know if you know about this. Let me know if you don't know about this. And we can exchange uh, emails from that point on. All right. Thank you for your time. Appreciate that. Peace. Let me confirm your email. It's J Hayes, J A Y H A Y E S eight nine eight at gmail dot com. Yes, sir, it is. Okay. Make sure I got the one. I will drop you an email. Thank you kindly for the update. I know Roz was emailed about that as well. Uh some of my pals are very elated uh, about all of the Bitcoin uh, comeuppance and have been talking about that. That's one of their pet hobbies, quite a few of my pals in the area. Um, but absolutely, I'll check it out and other listeners I'll pass along as I get additional information. Uh, with that, folks, unless everybody's satisfied. Uh, yes, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, peace, uh, Gus. I'm I'm glad uh, Jenna brought that up because you're right. I did talk about this on the show at least twice, I think, before, and I did send you emails about it. So I'm glad he did bring it up. Um, you know, it's it's just a, a great opportunity for people to really um, get ahead legally, and all of this is based on uh, crowdfunding, which President Obama wrote into law back in 2012 with the American Jobs Act. So it's something that is completely legal and it's giving the average person access to crowdfunding, which was not accessible to the average person. It was only accessible to places like um, the government. When you pay your taxes, that's crowdfunding. 
when you go to church and they pass that that pop, that uh collection plate around, that's crowdfunding, and it's and and it's basically people contrib- contributing small amounts of money that go towards the goals of others. But in this situation, everybody gets to rise together, and you can really amass uh, a, a sizable amount of money in a pretty relatively short period of time. You can convert those. Uh, crypto coins into real assets like gold and silver and other things that you will need as this economy, as far as the dollar's concerned, starts to collapse. So this is a way of really preparing. And as Bitcoin becomes more profitable, your profit margin will skyrocket. So it's just something I wanted to put out there as well, just to piggyback off of what Jenna was saying. And if anyone is interested and would like to contact me, you can reach me at R-A-S-K-E-L-I-L-E at Comcast.net. Again, that's R-A-S-K-E-L-I-L-E at Comcast.net. And again, Gus, get at me. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Peace and love to everybody. And I wish you all the best. Grant, got both of them. Oh, man, do we have other folks? Any other commentary they want to make sure they get in? Grant, I will make time so I can get on my emailing. Man, work to do, work to do. Much obliged for the info. I will uh, get at both of you all. Uh, if we have other folks, you can drop an email, untiljustice at gmail.com. Untiljustice at gmail.com. Feel free. Drop a line if you have questions, info, if you have comments about what was shared on the broadcast today or just need an update or what have you, untiljustice at gmail.com. Thanks for the folks who uh, wrote in commentary as well. Thanks for all the folks who called in uh, to share. I hope it was worthy of your time and energy. Uh, your Thursday evening, we have way too many problems, uh, black people specifically, way too many problems to be wasting time. Uh, that said, uh, sobriety would be best. Strongly encourage that uh, for listeners, victims of white supremacy. Uh, that's one thing that we could do, I think, would help solve at least some of our problems. I think racists, they have a significant track record of exploiting a lot of non-white people worldwide, uh, taking advantage of us, particularly when we're, when we're in positions where we're not sober, not able to think clearly and make the best decisions uh, would strongly encourage that, especially if you're going to be out and about in a vehicle. You should certainly be sober, buckled up. Uh, Let's do everything we can to minimize contact with enforcement uh, officers, race soldiers. Uh, But sobriety would be best. Dr. Welsing, Dr. Kambaum, any of the folks that we esteem, they would strongly recommend uh, us doing everything we can to keep our brain computer and black health uh, to maintain it as best we can uh, so that we can solve this problem. That's it. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time. We are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.